It's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. B F F T. Now, built by high-caliber millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the Bald-Faced Truth. Happy Friday. What's up, everybody? Bald-Faced Truth. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn, in for John Canzano today. Stephen, good to see you, my man. How are you? Good to see you, Judah. Uh, you know, just uh, getting ready for the weekend, man. Nice day outside. Well, that's good. That's good. I saw people playing pickleball outside my house at, like, um... 9 a.m. this morning, I said, man, who who are these people playing Friday morning 9 a.m. pickleball? Are these just people that have three-day weekends? Well, are you one of those guys that complains about the sound of it? Yeah, big time. I I am the captain of the pickleball noise team, the anti-pickleball noise team. I will have you know, big time. Do you not know this about me? I assumed you were. Oh, we lucked into a lovely abode, literally right next to a pickleball court. I thought it was a tennis court when we bought it, and I was wrong. And uh, we have we have lived to see the consequences, sadly. It, it, look, I've got no problem with pickleball overall. I like it as a sport. After 9 a.m. and before 9 p.m. That's all I ask. Is that too much to ask? How about 6.30 in the morning on a random summer week weekday morning? Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's, it's not a, good. It's a smidge early. Smidge early when it's 6.30. I feel <laughs> like uh, like 8 o'clock you could probably get away with yeah. it. 8? 9 I think is okay, but 6.30? Look, honestly, I would take 8. I would take it if people waited till 8 o'clock to play their pickleball. Well, it's like yard I got work. people going out there at like 7.15 while we're all still sleeping. I got a little one. It's like yard work. Like, what time of the day can you start mowing your lawn? Yeah. I even give yard work. So, I did landscaping for two summers. I give yard work a little bit more grace period. Also, the the noise of pickleball is worse than the noise of a lawnmower, I think. Because, like, hot take. As opposed to just, you know, the regular rev that you got going on. So, anyway, my Friday is off to a, a raucous start. 503 417 7575 is the phone number. We've got a lot to talk about today. Did you know that we are less than a week away from week zero college football games? Or I guess eight days away, technically, from the first week zero college football games. That means, Stephen, got to get that bankroll ready. Yeah, I uh, I, I was aware. And I, I have my preliminary sides and takes for all, I believe, seven games that are happening. I don't know that I bet all of them, but I do have... Uh, my leans for him already. I have made decisions, although I'm still putting in the research, I'm still doing some uh, mm. last minute things. But I'm ready, dude. I, I mean, I cannot wait, dude. It's been a long off season with all the conference realignment stuff. Like, I just can't wait till we're starting to talk more about what's on the field than off the field. And I'm, wor- I am worried about that. Yeah, that it's going to continue to talk about what's off the field, even when games start happening, which I really hope doesn't happen. But uh, I do worry about that a little bit, dude. Well. I think the the off the field stuff will filter into the game broadcasts. Like that's inevitable. That's going to happen. But hopefully, everybody's got a spot to be by week one of the college football season. Um, you know, ahead of twenty twenty four, and that of course 
involves the Beavers, Washington State. They put out a hype video today that we'll talk about. Uh, Stanford and Cal, their flirtation with the ACC uh, continues. It lost steam. Is it regaining steam? If, if there's any breaking news on that front, of course, we'll have it to you. And it feels like there, there will be breaking news on a Friday afternoon. There almost always is. And if not, then Saturday morning, I feel like I'm going to wake up to a Pete Thamel or Brett McMurphy tweet announcing something involving Stanford and Cal. So I don't know. I, 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 you know, that shoe is going to drop. And when it does, at least we'll have some final resolution on all of this. But Stephen, you're right. The season is coming and it's coming in hot. You know, I've, I've been thinking for the better part of the day about that road trip to Lubbock that Oregon's going to have in week two. Like, I, I hope Duck fans aren't sleeping on that road trip. My question to Duck fans today, are you are you confident or are you worried about Lubbock week two? Because I'd be a little worried. I mean, I, I'd, be, I, I, I'd be a little concerned. That looks like a tough place to play, and that looks like a tough team. I'm not a Duck fan, but if I was a Duck fan, I'd be worried. I mean, I, that, it's a good team coming back, and, and there's a lot of things a lot of people love about this Texas Tech team. Joel McGuire, the second-year head coach, they have a lot of momentum. Um, they are really, and this is shocking, I think, Judah, that people don't recognize this. Texas Tech's a different team than what they used to be, right? With Cliff Kingsbury and Mike Leach, you think how they're going to sling the ball around. But defensively, this is a really big team. If you go mm. look at their roster, they are full of 300-plus pounders. Like, it's not a small team at all. Even they're, at safety. Yeah, that's no, I'm just exactly, kidding. yeah. Seriously. And at a quarterback <laughs> and halfback, no. But um, that, that would be so. which, by the way, this is an aside. You remember that Georgia tight end last year, Darnell Washington, yeah. goes to the Steelers. He slipped a little bit. But at training camp, he's apparently going one-on-one pass pro with T.J. Watt mm. and holding his own. Nothing wrong with that. But And do you know, he weighs he weighs almost three bills, Darnell <laughs> Washington. I kid you not. And he's playing tight end. So, anyway, just file that away for someone who slipped in the draft but seems to be a perfect Steeler. But I, I actually ahead. knew that because my brother is a Steelers fan. He's like, do you know about this Darnell Washington guy? I'm like, yeah, dude, this guy is <laughs> awesome. But, uh, no, uh, Texas Tech, speaking of Georgia, they have more 300-pounders than Georgia does on the defensive side of the ball. And we think about how big Georgia is and how they dominated. Texas That's Tech crazy. has more of them. So, it's not like, you know, this team that we thought, think about, you know, we saw highlights earlier today, Michael Crabtree making that catch with Graham Harrell. Like, it's not those type of teams that are soft. Like, they are going to try to hit you and out, you know, out physical you. So it'll be interesting to see what Dan Lanning and the crew at Oregon can do. I, I am worried about that game for the Ducks. I think that's going to be a really tough game down in Lubbock. And uh, I think it's going to be, you know, that point spread is going to be very interesting. I imagine the Ducks are favored, but man, I, I you know, right now, I need to see what the what Texas Tech looks like week one. Yeah. Oregon looks like week one, but that's going to be a real tough game, I think. And John's talked about this as well. Like It could define a lot in the regular season for the Oregon Ducks. Well, that's what non-conference play does early in the season. And you, you think about the non-conference with Oregon in particular, like, man, you get some really big statement games early. You know, 2007, Michigan week two comes to mind, obviously. And 2007, you know, that ends up defining the season up until November in Tucson. <laughs> to remind Duck fans about that. You know, I think about, obviously, the 2021 Week 2 at Ohio State and what a massive statement win that was. There's been a lot of Week 1 openers in non-conference for Oregon that have been neutral site games, like the Chick-fil-A kickoff game with Georgia last year. And that kind of, you know, it didn't define the season ultimately because when you think about the season last year for Oregon, like, you kind of forget about the Georgia game because it's such a... It's it's an outlier. Georgia ends up going winning the national championship, two-time national champions as a result. 
But Oregon was, you know, 49-3. to Their season ended up being defined by the Washington and Oregon State games much more than the Georgia game. I think about the LSU 2011 opener. I think about, uh, you know, a couple of the other big games that they played to open the season. And this is going to be another one, I think. This road game at Texas Tech week two. And from a brand standpoint, Duck fans, I think, you know, they're confident. They, their team's going to go and they're going to take care of business against a Big 12 opponent. But at the same time, I think you mentioned that betting line. It's around three. To me, that that kind of tells you all you need to know. In a strange way, I would be more confident as a Duck fan, as a 14-point underdog at Ohio State, than I would be as a three-point favorite at Lubbock. Like, to me, it's three for a reason. I think it's three for a reason because people are aware of how good this Texas Tech team is, and that quarterback, he's going to have revenge on his mind when he plays Oregon. Yeah, he knows a little something about Oregon. Tyler Shuck, uh, you know, transfer quarterback. You did the research on that. It's the first time an Oregon transfer quarterback will be going against the Ducks that you could find. That I could find. I might be missing missing one, um, but, but that I could find it's the first time that a, a former Duck's going yeah. gonna to face Oregon, at least in the modern, you know, last decade at, at the very least. And it's a very interesting thing. You know, Tyler Shuck, one of those guys who – very talented player, uh, just hasn't been able to stay yeah. healthy. So, you know, if he stays healthy, and it's only week two, so I imagine if he gets through that first game at Wyoming, he's going to be the guy going against Oregon, and there you go. Like, that's- yeah, if, he, if he doesn't get hurt, because that's the other thing with Shuck, he's gotten hurt early in the year, each of the last two years with Texas Tech. But, yeah, and look, former Ducks, like, I would have thought maybe Travis died, but USC didn't play Oregon last year. Um, the one that Carrington, right, didn't he transfer to Utah? And then they came back to face Oregon the next year. Carrington catches that crazy game winner from Herbert in uh, that 2016 season. I think that was Herbert's freshman year. Catches that crazy game winner at Rice-Eccles. And then the next year transfers to Utah and plays Oregon in Autzen Stadium. Like, there have been former Ducks that have played against the Ducks again. But unless I missed something, and listeners, you know, if you've got an answer, there's a lot of hardcore Duck fans out there. You can call in at 503-417-7575. Former Duck that ended up being quarterback against the Ducks. I, I don't know. This Tyler Shuck matchup might be unprecedented, but we'll still have to get the crack research team on it. The thing that still stands out to me about it is a road trip to Texas in general for a true road game. Like a couple months ago, I had, uh, I had some free time on my hands, Stephen, and I went in search of the last time Oregon played a true road game in the state of Texas. Now, part of it is you're going to be playing non-conference games in Texas when you play at Jerry World or you play in a bowl game like they played Oklahoma and the Alamo Bowl a couple years ago. They played Auburn in that 2019 opener a couple years ago in Jerry World. Alamo Bowl with TCU. Uh, Let's forget that one. But, uh, yeah, they played in Jerry World like three times in the last decade. LSU, Ohio State National Championship, Auburn in the 2019 season opener. But I started scrolling back. I was like, when was the last time they went to the state of Texas for a true road game? And you have to go all the way back to 2005. Their season opener in 05 was at the Houston Cougars. So (laughs) that's a little bit different. One, it's almost been 20 years since you played a true road game in the state of Texas. And two, Houston, you know, I I don't remember how good they were in 2005, but I bet you Texas Tech has got a higher ceiling than that Houston team. And frankly, Oregon's better than they were in 2005 as well, but still. And then uh, also 1998, week two at UTEP. And this is the second time that, you know, I thought about that game because 
unfortunately, the the tragic passing of uh, Herman Ho Ching uh, was it last week. The former Duck tailback, and he was a a freshman that '98 season, and he had an incredible game that week two game at UTEP, and all the highlights from that game were uh, were going around. But that UTEP game in '98 and the '05 season opener at Houston, those are the two most recent true road games in the state of Texas for Oregon football. Like, this is kind of novel, going into the state of Texas to play a true road game. And uh, I don't know. It's going to be on Fox. It's going to be 4 o'clock. We're just three weeks away from that game, right? I mean, we're two weeks away from Portland State. We're three weeks away from the Red Raiders' true road game. And I don't want it to sneak up on me. I guess that's why I'm talking about it right now. It's like, I got to get in the mindset of that being the early season-defining game for Oregon because... You know, and for fans out there, you don't want this game to sneak up on you either. It's time to get to know the enemy, time to get to know your opponents, and make sure, you know, hopefully that the, the Ducks take care of business, but that's going to be a tricky one. Yeah, September 9, uh, down in Lubbock, there, that's the game. It's going to be week two for the Ducks. Uh, going back and looking at that 2005 game against Houston, that actually, Jude, I'm going to call a little BS on you here. Oh. It was at Reliance Stadium. That's not, that's not the Houston Cougars home field. <laughs> You're right. So you, that's great. You uh, have to go back to 98 then. But there you got to make sure that that UTEP game was actually at UTEP. <laughs> it, all the end zones were colored UTEP, so they, I'm going to uh, go with that. Book. There were some names in that game, though. Blast from the past. Kevin Cobb. Oh, uh, dude. Kendall Bryles. He was a wide receiver on on Houston. He had yeah. a couple of catches. And then for the Ducks, of course, Kellen Clemens. Jonathan Stewart led the way. But, uh, no, you're right. I mean, that's going to be a tough game. It's a true road game. And there's a, it's a very hard it's a very hard road game. And what I think about this, Jude, is like I think for the Ducks – you know, you look at their best case scenario, and I think realistically, if Oregon clicks and everything works out perfect, like they could be eleven one, they could be twelve and zero this season and compete for a college football playoff berth. But how much credit is going on the road in week two at Texas Tech, who's a middle of the road Big Twelve team? You know, not great, but not terrible. You know, the Big Twelve is wide open this season, even with Texas and Oklahoma. Texas Tech has a chance to win that conference if Oregon goes in and wins that game. It's almost as if like we kind of feel like it's expected, but if they mm. go in and lose, they're going to be you know downgraded so much because oh it's just the Pac-12 again going on the road yeah. getting a loss can't get a big win. It's almost like it's a it's a no win situation for the Ducks, but they're almost expected to win this ball game. And I think if the Ducks you know they are more talented and you know I do think that they have a chance to win the Pac-12, but man I think we're going to learn a lot in that week two game just how that defense has improved from last year to this year with Dan Lanning. You know, he's improved the defensive uh, rotation. He's gotten a lot more talent in on that side. He's gotten into what's at least too deep now on that defense. He needs to show some improvement. I think that's really the first game we're going to find out what Dan Landon is as a head coach. Well, and I think about the Bo Nix billboard in New York, right? I mean, you don't give that to just anybody. And if he goes to Lubbock and loses that game, like that hype of the billboard and all that, like, you know, it's still good marketing. Like I said, when the billboard came out earlier this week, we said that's at worst, it's great marketing and probably a good recruiting tool. But it, if it's truly trying to get the guy to, to, to Heisman candidacy, truly trying to get him to New York, you don't lose the game in Lubbock. You don't, you just don't, you win it and you win it and you look really good at it. You know, and like that's the other thing. Oregon can't, <clears throat> Oregon can lose or excuse me, win that game and maybe win close, but you can't win ugly, you know. I'd rather have them win a shootout, you know, an old, uh, you know, a Texas-style shootout against the Red Raiders than, you know, lose something where it's muddied up. But 
We'll see. The, the you, transfers. Don't, you, don't yeah. you think that's how it's going to be, though, if Oregon wins that game, it's going to be by a shootout because I, yeah, I, Texas Tech returns 11 people on offense. For those, all, they returned the whole starting lineup from offense last season. They returned all of them. Yeah. And they're adding more people from the transfer portal. Like, I have no questions about the Oregon offense. It's all about the defense. Like, Bo Nix could have a great game, but the defense gives up 42 and they lose, and then everyone's going to blame Bo Nix because he's the quarterback and he has no Heisman chance. Like, isn't it all about the defense in this game? Like, are you worried at all? About Bo Nix that offense? No, I mean, no, and look, Will Stein's going to have, he's already got that game game planned, I'm pretty sure, right? I mean, you don't have to game plan for, for Portland State, bless them. You, you just, you know, you're getting the Texas Tech stuff installed and getting ready for the season. Even, you know, Hawaii, Colorado, the, you know, Stanford. Like, dude, Texas Tech is it, man, before the UW game. It is all about beating Texas Tech. So, Will Stein, obviously, he's familiar with that area, that territory. Uh, just been at uh, UTEP the last few years. So I, I think he'll have some stuff dialed up. Um, I think the athletes will be great. I'm really looking forward to Tez Johnson, you know, if he's ready and healthy and and how his presence can help unlock Troy Franklin even further. And Chris Hudson and all the pass catchers. Eh, not particularly deep at tight end, Oregon, this year. But the other thing, Stephen, you know, here's, here's the thing. That offensive line with Oregon, a lot of turnover from where they were a season ago. Still talented guys, but, it, you know, between, like, left tackle, I think they're going with that Connerly kid, Josh Connerly. Sophomore, Seattle kid, incredibly high upside, high ceiling. He could be the next Panay Sewell. He could be, like, the next guy that goes in the NFL and is a high draft pick. Like, that's the kind of pedigree we're talking about. First real true road game for that guy as a left tackle, right? Um, Johnny Cornelius might start at the other tackle, the Rhode Island transfer. That's going to be <laughs> the toughest test that he's like. That crowd noise is going to be crazy. So, I, you know, that's part of the other thing in terms of install and game plan for Will Stein. This is going to be a major, major test for a lot of new moving pieces. We could talk all we want about Bo Nix returning experience, seasoned. He's seen it all. He's seen all the SEC environments. He won't be phased by the Texas Tech environment. That may be true. You know, Bucky Irving coming back, Noah Whittington coming back. You love the skill positions of the quarterback returning talent. But play caller being new and offensive line being new in a, in a hostile environment like that where it's going to be kicking off at, what, 6 o'clock Central time? Like, man, that that's going to be quite the test for Oregon. Yeah, I mean, that offensive line lost a lot from last season. And, you know, you could argue they were you know, the top offensive line, maybe the second offensive line in the Pac-12 and you lose a lot, and you know, luckily, you know, Tyree Wilson, top seven, he was the seventh overall pick. Right, he's gone from Texas Tech. But like I said, they got some size, they got some uh, beef up front, you know. But it's a little unproven, so you know, it's one of those things where you know, if Oregon come in and you know, run the football real quick, or Bo Nix can make some nice passes down the field real quick, you got to get off to a good start, especially down in Lubbock where that crowd is going to be crazy. Like you said, I mean, it's it's a real college atmosphere. Like this is what we talk about with college, you know, college football and how it's so much fun and it's different than the NFL. It's these type of games. Right, like Oregon goes to Lubbock, Texas, to play Texas Tech. You don't think those fans are going to be psyched to have the Oregon Ducks go down there? Is it just brand? you, or like I really hope it's well, it, I hope it's Gus and Joel on the call, week two makes it feel bigger. It definitely does. This is the other thing about media rights and all that. Like I try not to nerd out on media rights publicly. You know, I, I keep my media rights fascination to myself when I'm alone. No, I'm just kidding, but. Mrs. Newby hears them all the time. No, yeah, no, come on. <laughs> I was like, oh, Gus Johnson, Joel Clout, what a team. What, what? I will say the broadcast pairing, 
not every Fox game's created equal. Not every ESPN game's created equal. You know, like I'm trying to go back in the Beavers and Ducks schedules and be like, how many times do they play on Fox and ESPN and ABC? Oregon's going to be playing on freaking NBC starting in 2024. Like, that's crazy to me. CBS. And it's not a Sun Bowl. Like, it's an actual football game. The Beavers get to be on CBS, you know, to open their season uh, Sunday, September 3rd on CBS. Like, that's kind of cool. But not every game's created equal. To me, the play-by-play and color guy, like, really matters because that can take the game to the next level. Now, Gus and Joel, they do the the big noon kickoff. So they're probably going to be doing, maybe they'll be doing Coach Primer in Nebraska. Isn't that that same day? Yeah, that probably is. That's probably your big nooner then. But, you know, know, if it's Brando Brando and uh, Spencer Tillman, you know, they're they're good. You know, Brando's done it for a long time. He is a veteran. And so that raises the floor of a broadcast. But at the same time, uh, yeah, he's not everybody's cup of tea. I get that. I, you know, Gus isn't everybody's cup of tea either. Uh, he's better on March Madness for me than he is on College Football Saturdays. But that guy, talk especially in this day and age of TV driving everything, that guy has carved a niche for himself. Gus Johnson, you know, he's the best on March Madness, but he's pretty dang good. With Big Noon kickoff and everything on Foxtel. As long as it's uh, not Rod Gilmore, right? Yeah, like so that's, that's the look, one that everyone, all the Ducks fans Rod's hates. a treasure, okay? Cancer survivor, great football mind. Dave Fleming, his play-by-play partner, is probably better doing Giants baseball than he is doing college football. They called the Civil War last year. They've called, uh, uh, they called Duck Stanford last year. They called the, I think it was that Duck Stanford game that was grainy as crap. And that's the other thing. Not every ESPN game's created equal, right? So when you get a Dave and Rod game, you know, that's not the same as getting a Dave Pash game, right? Like, you would take the Dave Pash game, at least I would, 100 times out of 100 over a Fleming-Gilmore game. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it's one thing to get on the big networks. It's another thing to get the A-team broadcast unit, or at least a broadcast unit that you are comfortable with and, you know, won't make the game like a, a an uncomfortable watch. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for comfortability, a little bit of trust, a little bit of uh, you know, a little bit of personality to hype the game, hype the moment. So as soon as we find out who the Texas Tech Oregon broadcast team is, and I'll probably write about it or something or, or find a way to spew about it because it'll make it exciting. Uh we'll bounce to break and when we come back we'll be joined by a play by play voice of college football, uh former duck uh, athlete extraordinaire, a member of the Oregon Ducks Hall of Fame, and uh, he'll be doing some play-by-play for CBS Sports this uh, this fall, and it's Jordan Kent. I've wanted Jordan's opinion on everything that's been going on in the world of college sports, University of Oregon in particular, where he's a Hall of Famer. What does he think of the Big Ten move? What does he think for keys to the upcoming season for the Ducks and uh, and everything in between? Jordan Kent is coming up next right here. Baldface Truth, Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn, in for John Cazano on a Friday on the Baldface Truth Radio Network. Back to the Baldface Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, just a couple weeks away from the Oregon Ducks season opener against uh, Bruce Barnum in Portland State. 
road trip to Lubbock week two. Talked about that in the opening segment. Time to get time to get fired up for that. Time to get ready. Time to get to know the enemy if you're a Duck fan because that that Lubbock game week two is going to determine a, a lot of things up until the the Washington game. Uh, and then in 2024, of course, Oregon's going to be playing in the Big Ten Conference. What's that going to look like? What to make of the the future, the rivalry with the Beavers and everything in between. Uh, you're going to talk about it now with a member of the Oregon Ducks Hall of Fame athlete extraordinaire, broadcaster extraordinaire, Jordan Kent Skills Camp uh, founder and leader. And Jordan Kent joining us on the show right now. Jordan, great to talk to you again, my friend. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Great to catch up with you. How you doing, my man? Man, I'm good. I'm really good. I keep seeing the Talking Ducks tweets and the uh, the teasing of when the show returns here in a few days and the countdown with all the Ducks jersey numbers. Today was Keenan Howry, one of my favorites uh-huh. growing up. 15 days out, 15 for Keenan Howry. Man, how excited are you that we're we're getting closer to football season? You know, it's it's very exciting. It got here quick, and... You know, for this being the swan song, potentially, for the Pac-12 conference as we know it, it's going to be really exciting just looking at the talent we got at the quarterback positions, a lot of the parity at the top. Um, it's it's set to be one of the more exciting years in recent memory, and, you know, it's great to have the Ducks right in the mix of things, as well as the Beavers and Huskies, especially if you're a fan here in the Northwest. So, yeah, can't wait. Um, it always feels like it's such a treat at the end of the summer and that first day of college football season is almost like Christmas morning for a lot of us here. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Lay it out for our listeners. What can they expect from you? Play by play wise. I know that you were, you were just uh, tweeting out some involvement with CBS sports this fall, man. That's exciting. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I've got about half a dozen games with CBS sports net play by play for college football and, Got some really fun games lined up and excited to share those once we can announce them, but just a great opportunity. And I've really enjoyed the work I've done with Pac-12 Network and obviously the future of the network. Who knows what it's going to be after this next sports season, but to continue to get more work with CBS Sportsnet's been great. Did a lot of basketball games with them last year, a lot of Mountain West conference action too, where you get some really good games with, you know, those environments you have in New Mexico and San Diego State. So should be a blast and college football something i obviously hold near and dear to my heart and getting a chance to call a game i love is definitely something i'm honored to do I tell you what i love it when you're on a call because you bring passion you bring uh, energy and you're a very very comfortable voice to listen to and <laughs> and hear football from and on top of that all you you played the game at such a high level you were a, a three-sport athlete at oregon the first time that someone's lettered in three sports at Oregon since World War II. So you know what the hell you're talking about, Jordan Kent. So I appreciate that as well. <laughs> With that being said, like, I know I know that's the Jordan Kent brand. I know what to expect from a Jordan Kent called game. And yet in the background of this whole summer has been so much off the field stuff. It's been conference realignment. It's been, you know, the, the, the collapse, as it were, of the Pac-12. It's been all this drama. So I'm curious for from someone that's wired the way you are, that, that – you know, engages with the sport of college football the way that you do. How have you kind of engaged with all the other drama that's accompanied this offseason in college football and, of course, right here in the Pac-12? Well, to be honest, I was sad for a couple of days when the news came that the conference was essentially disintegrating with the departures of Oregon and Washington to the Big Ten and then the four corner schools going to the Big 12 after Colorado made their announcement. And you kind of erase 108 years of – 
history. That'll never take away all the accomplishments and the great names and the championships won by these great teams. But there is this fraternity, this brotherhood of Pac-12 athletes and such an appreciation for these athletes that have gone to these schools and these rivalries and what these big-time matchups have meant. And to see that go away now, it's just sad. It really is. And I think once we saw the first domino of USC and UCLA joining a conference more than halfway across the country, that's when you knew anything could happen. And it's really unfortunate that football is the driver for so many of these decisions, Judah, because being a basketball player and being a track athlete, you know, all the travel you have for basketball and then a lot of these track meets, I really feel for the non-revenue earning sport athletes, to be honest. And what that's going to do for their travel schedules and how complicated it's going to make their seasons, all because of what football has decided to do. And I think it really has taken a big chunk out of the pageantry that is college athletics, the regionality of it was something everybody appreciated and enjoyed, and now that is completely gone. You've got the Big 12 that now spans from Arizona all the way to Florida. You've got the Big 10, of course, that is from West Coast all the way to the East Coast. And, you know, I think this just opens the door up to eventual power conferences where maybe we just have two big divisions or one big division, and it's NFL lights, and that's just going to have a huge ripple throughout the entire collegiate athlete environment. And now that we've seen schools do this, which you can't fault some of them because you don't want to be in a situation where you're left without a conference, it's going to embolden people to make even bigger choices. And this is really just the initial snowball rolling down the hill that's going to turn into something much bigger that you or I can't predict how big and when it's going to happen. But this is certainly not the end of the change. The Oregon decision to leave in particular, if we focus on your alma mater, it it's so complex. And mm-hmm. you can't blame one school for anything in particular, or you can't blame one school for, for all the dominoes falling. But I am curious, you know, with your ties to the university, um, the decision to leave and whether it was, you know, Oregon doing it first and Washington following, and now we're getting reports out of Seattle that it was vice versa and everyone's getting to this other war of who did it first and who followed who. And I was like, what? Are there yeah. really bragging rights for who, you know, put the last straw on the camel's back? Um, but right. but for Oregon, and, and you mentioned it, the basketball and non-football sports, from that vantage point in particular, uh, like, are you supportive of this move? At the very least, I, I can tell in your voice that you're conflicted. Well, I think given the situation that Oregon was in, you don't blame them for taking the opportunity that was in front of them. And that was to go join the Big Ten for substantially more money that was guaranteed versus potential dollars with that Apple TV deal with the Pac-12 network. But that was falling into that same trap that the initial Pac-12 network deal was where you were banking on subscriptions. And unfortunately, the timing just coincided with cord cutting way back in 2010, 2011. And so for Oregon, you had two choices. Do you join a potentially fractured Pac-12 knowing that Arizona, Arizona State, Utah might be departing? Or do you take the opportunity in front of you because you don't know when that invite is coming from the Big Ten? And I think what maybe takes the sting out of it, if you're a Duck fan, as far as, again, that term, the regionality of this, is you're now essentially guaranteed football games every year against UCLA, USC, and Washington versus years where 
you skipped one of the L.A. schools, and you went two years without playing USC, those are three major matchups. And then throw in there either one or four of the potential matchups against Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State, that is a meaty regular season conference schedule right there, and that's going to be very exciting. The problem is, what do you do with the rivalry with Oregon State? Do you schedule them as a non-conference opponent every year? I don't know how realistic that is. I think it's much easier in the other sports where there's a lot more games where you can schedule matchups against Oregon State, certainly. And what does that mean for your chances to make the college football playoff? Is it easier being a top three team in the Big Ten, considering how big the conference is, or is it now going to be more difficult versus maybe being in the driver's seat of a Pac-12 that if it had existed and you finished in one or two or you won the Pac-12, you're essentially guaranteed a college football playoff spot. So huge ramifications, but I don't fault Oregon for doing what they did at that moment, to be honest. And I really do think they would have loved to have been part of a sustained Pac-12 if that dollar amount worked for everybody. But obviously from what we saw, the dollar amount was too little too late, and that was really the catalyst for a lot of this change that happened immediately. Jordan Kent joining us. I don't got to tell you how exciting the thought is of going into some of these Big Ten stadiums and playing big-time football. Uh, you've seen it mm-hmm. firsthand. Any venues in particular that you think are uh, more exciting or more novel than others uh, for Oregon as they enter Big Ten play? Well, I mean, the two big ones are the Horseshoe and the Big House, but uh, Happy Valley, of course. Penn State, I, I don't think Oregon's ever played at Penn State in one of those whiteouts, and that's a great atmosphere, but you're talking a coast-to-coast trip, essentially. And so I, I think those are exciting. Obviously, a matchup against Wisconsin and Madison, that's a wonderful environment. So you do have some pretty incredible environments. You can't sleep on Iowa and Kinnick Stadium, but don't forget there's also going to be maybe some games in Bloomington, Indiana or at Rutgers. Like not every <laughs> single game is going to be this great matchup and it's going to be planes, trains and automobiles to get there, especially if you're a fan, unfortunately. And so I think that's just the reality you accept in this situation is along with the big time matchups, there's also going to be a couple games that, you know, you look at the schedule, you kind of scratch your head and say, all right, well, at Minnesota, let's do this. And that's nothing against Minnesota. It's just, Minnesota is not the brand that Ohio State is. Minnesota is not the brand that Michigan is. Um, You know, um, despite the great work they've done there the last couple of years, it's just that's going to resonate differently with fans that are budgeting out what games to go to during the year. Washington State came out with this hype video uh, on social media today. It's like Washington State versus everybody, which Mm. I appreciate. I'm a little brother, and I I resonate with that theme of uh, taking on the world. I appreciate that. You know, Oregon State is in a similar boat. Um, you're familiar with the Washington State culture with, with your dad coaching on the Palouse for, for quite some time in addition to his, his Oregon tenure. You know, what do you make of the position that the Cougs, the Beavs are in? And it's a little bit different than the, the Stanford and Cal positions, you know, with, with facing an uncertain future. You know, the most difficult thing for them will just be balancing the books. Um, you're talking significantly less revenue if they end up going to, say, the Mountain West Conference. Um, Anything can happen. There's still some talks about restructuring and rebranding the Pac-12. Do you merge with the Mountain West? Obviously, Stanford and Cal are drivers of that. But if they can somehow remain 
competitive in football given the adjustments in the budget. There's an argument that they might have a clearer path to the playoff now than they did if they were in the Pac-12. And obviously Oregon State was a handful of plays away from winning the conference. We've seen Washington State with some top 10 teams in the year. But you talk about navigating a Mountain West conference schedule versus a Pac-12 schedule, and yes, that is easier to play a Mountain West conference schedule. I think they will have to schedule up in their non-con play. And so if you look at their 12 games, in the past where maybe your three non-con games were cupcakes and then you're getting set for nine Pac-12 games, and Judah, those nine Pac-12 games, there's probably four or five that are big-time games. That's going to be your Oregons, your Washingtons, your USC's, your UCLA's, your Utah's. Nobody was too thrilled playing Cal, playing Stanford, playing Colorado. So if they schedule up in the non-con and are aren't afraid to go out there and play some Giants or take on some Big Ten opponents, well, they could have some pretty exciting seasons. And if they can navigate those first three weeks well and get through Mountain West play 10-1, and 9-2, and 11-0 uh, possibly, that opens up a path to them for the playoff. Um, mm. But you just feel for those two schools because I, I sit here, and there's no way when you look at all these schools that are parts of these bigger conferences, that Maryland football is at the same level as Oregon State football or Washington State football, that some of these other schools that are in the Big 12 getting these dollars are on the same footing as Washington State and Oregon State. It's just not true. And I think that's why eventually we're going to see this power conference or power league where it is the 48 best teams or the 60 best teams, then throw your hat in the ring and let's go. Um, because there's just too many valuable brands, I think, that are still sitting on the sidelines, not in these major conferences, that I think are attractive if you are to form one of these super leagues. couple last things for you, Jordan. Appreciate your time. Week two, Oregon at Texas Tech. I mentioned in the opening segment, asking Duck fans, are you confident or are you worried about that week two game against Tyler, <laughs> Tyler Shuck and the Red Raiders? Which, what should Oregon fans feel for that one? I think this is a game that you've got to be – pretty worried about in the sense of anytime you're week two going to a funky environment against a player that's that quarterback and has got something to prove against you, that's something that always certainly draws some attention on the radar. And so for Oregon, you're going to be dealing with the warmer weather, of course. It's going down into a hostile environment. They're going to be packing the house to see the Ducks come in and play. But this is still a very, very good Oregon team. This is Bo Nix. This is a defense returning a lot of pieces. This is a team that's got a lot of skill position players. It's year two of Dan Lanning. They've recruited well. This should still be a game that Oregon can win, but I don't think a lot of people realize Texas Tech is a preseason top 25 team. And for anybody that's going on the road against a top 25 team in the first three weeks, hey, listen, as we used to say, not everything is super sharp the first three weeks of the season. You're still getting your rhythm and timing down for full speed gameplay versus what you've done in training camp. So, um, this is a game if we're, I'm concerned about this one, to be honest. This is one where if you win, it's like, whew, all right, escape that one. Let's get them for conference play here after one more non-conference game. So, but it's fun, you know, bring some excitement to the uh, non-conference and it's a much better matchup than having to be the sacrificial lamb to Georgia to start the season and then you kind of, you know, begin the season with a little bit of disappointment. No kidding. I was doing amateur research to find the last true road game in the state of Texas that Oregon played. 
you know, not in Jerry World or no bowl games or anything like that. And I came across 2005 season opener at Houston, and then Stephen Vaughn yeah. astutely pointed out that that game was at Reliance Stadium. So I don't know if that's yeah. technically true. I played in that one. So I figured so you did. Road game. Not at all. No, there were more <laughs> Duck fans than Cougar fans there, to be honest. So you might have to <laughs> so, go back to 98 at UTEP. I think, as like the, I think so. That's crazy. I think me. so. It's wild. That's why teams are careful about where they go on the road. But either way, it'll be a lot of fun for them. And just one of those games that you're happy they schedule because it brings a little bit more excitement before conference play. What can fans expect with Talking Ducks? When are you guys returning? And uh, what's it going to look like? Yeah, season three um, of the revamped Talking Ducks. And we'll be coming next week on Thursday of Root Sports. We also have Talking Beavers that I executive produced. We're launching the Talking Cougars, Talking Huskies. We've got all four teams covered for the 16 weeks during football season. It'll be myself, Joey Harrington, Anthony Newman, Aaron Fentress with the Ducks coverage. And then uh, Beavers, you've got A.J. McCord, Jason Jean Baptiste, Mike Parker. you got Alex Brink, Michael Bumpus for Talking Cougars. And then Dave Softy Mahler and Cam Cleland, yes, for Talking Huskies. So we kind of got a pretty good all-star lineup here. Um, we're excited to get the ball rolling on this. Root's been a wonderful partner, but, you know, you're just going to get perspective and thoughts from guys that have been there on the field that see it at that level and, you know, really give fans just an inside look at what to expect for the upcoming game and the breakdowns of the previous game and just a lot of those conversations that we all like to have during the week as we get set and, you know, raise some interesting questions and things to think about. So we're pumped. We're excited. We've got a great team that's putting it together and, pretty cool that we can um, offer these four shows this year. Yeah, You and I have spent a lot of time in a radio studio talking college football on the weekends, so I, I miss those days, but uh, I love turning on uh, the TV or the YouTube channel and uh, finding you guys still uh-huh. talking ball. So congrats on that. And, uh, you know, as a Seahawk fan around preseason, I vividly remember a Jordan Kent <laughs> touchdown from Matt Hasselbeck. <laughs> What are, what are we saying? Is this 07, 08 maybe in Minnesota? Uh, 08, yeah. Yeah, 15 years ago, I'm staring at the football right in my office still to this day. So oh. maybe in preseason, but you can't take that away from me. Not Dude. too many people get a chance to score a touchdown on the NFL field, and I will take that. Doran, I kid you not. I remember watching it live, and I was, like, so pumped as a oh. Seahawks fan. I was like, Dude, Doran Kent just caught a touchdown from Matt Hasselbeck. Let's go. Oh, so, uh dream come true it's great to catch up with you brother have a great season we'll uh we'll talk again soon and really appreciate the time hey absolutely take it easy we'll talk to you soon there he is jordan kent joining us on the bald face truth bounce break come back react to that set up some uh some topics for hour number two and we'll check in with bob kendota seattle times ahead of seahawks cowboys preseason football next hour as well judah newbie Stephen vaughn on the bald face truth You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Here to newbie Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano on this Friday, week zero, next week. That includes, Stephen, USC San Jose State next Saturday. I think I last saw the betting line in the 30s. Yeah, last I saw it was uh, like 30 and a half, 30, 30 and a half, somewhere around there. Lay it? Yeah, I think USC can <laughs> I think USC can put put whatever number they want to on their heads there. What about defensively, though? <laughs> That's the, that is a question. I, I do want to ask you about that, Judah. I mean, 
Oregon State opens up with San Jose State. You know, we touched on Oregon and how they started the season. But San, Oregon State starts in San Jose State. It'll be a Sunday down in San Jose. True road game, just like the Ducks. But it'll be San Jose State's second game. Do you yeah. think that has any impact on how San Jose State plays this first game is against USC? Do you think they you know, Oregon State learns something from San Jose State? Or is it one of those things where... San Jose State maybe gets the rust knocked off a little bit, and now they're ready to go yeah. for week two, where Oregon State is still trying to get their rust knocked off. Aside from a quarterback injury, because they got an established quarterback, don't they, in that uh, Siobhan Cordero? Yeah, former uh, Hawaii quarterback. Like, what is it? He's been playing college ball for four or five years, it feels yeah, like. Four million, yeah. So, yeah, if he gets hurt in the USC game, obviously that changes things. But aside from that, I think advantage San Jose State. Like, if they stay healthy in the USC game, even if they get trounced, I genuinely believe San Jose State thinks they can beat Oregon State. Brent Brennan absolutely is gunning for that game. He's not gunning to win the USC game. He is gunning to beat Jonathan Smith. Like, no questions about it. That's why I think the the line is a little... It's, it's fishy. 16.5, it's better than 17.5, which I think is where it was at one point. But 16.5, I don't know. That's a it's a little rich for me. Let's we'll talk more about that game in hour number two. But let's uh, slam in our big splash. The one thing that you need to know today. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where down there? The big splash. Stephen James Harden is talking again, and it's just a wonderful thing. He he's already called Daryl Morey a liar. And then he was asked by a reporter in Houston on Thursday if he thought his relationship with the 76ers was beyond repair. Harden replied, quote, I think so. I've been patient all summer. For me, it's just focus on what I can control and getting ready for this season, unquote. Things unraveling in Philly, Stephen? Very much so. Uh, It seems like that duo of James Harden and Joel Embiid is done. Uh, I think the next question would be, what does Philadelphia do with Joel Embiid? I mean, he's one of the you know MVP this past season. You don't want to get rid of him, but he's already you know cleared Philadelphia from his social media. You can get a lot back in return from him. They got Tyrese Maxey. He's a good young player. I'm interested to see what they do with Embiid, but I think the Harden uh, Harden days and Embiid days are over together. Well, the time is now to bet Blazers NBA title futures. You will, I swear to you, you will not get a better number than what you get right now. Who knows? Maybe Dame stays. You trade for Embiid. You win it all. I tell you, the value's right now. Hour two coming up. BFT. Now, built by high caliber millwrights. In for John Canzano. Here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the ball faced truth. Hour two on a Friday. Thanks to Jordan Kent joining us in hour one. Find the podcast if you missed it. Jordan with. Some great things to say, great insights on all things Ducks. Final season of Pac-12 football, move to the Big Ten. What's next for the Beavs and Cougs? Preseason Seahawk champion. I vividly remember Seahawks-Vikings preseason game and Jordan catching a touchdown from Matt Hasselbeck, the GOAT, Matty H. Do you remember, Stephen, when Facebook came out? Kind of. Um, I was. I mean, I was still a little young for when Facebook came out. I know I'm older than you, but I remember my brother having it, and you had to be in college 
and you had to uh, you know you had to sign up through your actual university to, to be a part of it. Right. Yeah. I know. I mean, I was not early on Facebook. Don't get me wrong. I, but the very first iterations of Facebook.com, HTTP backslash Facebook.com. The Facebook, you know, everybody knows Facebook Messenger, but when you could chat to somebody on Facebook on a desktop or on a computer and it like showed up on the bottom and when you'd get a new message, like it would show up in blue with a red, you know, you have a new message icon and you could chat with anybody that you were friends with. And back then, I don't know what, circa 07, 08, I don't know. Like, a lot of guys in the NFL would just be friends with everybody. And Matt Hasselbeck accepted my friend request when I was a little kid. I was like, oh, my gosh. I was over the moon. And I remember vividly one year he got hurt. Shocker. And uh, although he's a tough son of a gun, uh, he had a rib injury. And I remember finding him on Facebook Messenger and was just like, hey, Matt, big Seahawks fan, man. I'm, I'm praying for your ribs, man. Praying for your riffs. <laughs> this little kid <laughs> telling him, fucking me. And I kid you not, he replied back. He just typed in, thanks. What a good guy. That was it. I was like, over the moon. I mean, I was a, ma- I still am a big Seahawk fan, massive Seahawk fan as a kid. I was like, Matt Hasselbeck messaged me on, on Facebook. But so it's it's just, great. It's the little effort that he did that makes you a Matt Hasselbeck fan forever yeah. and a Seahawks fan forever. Like, that's the stuff that's great. I love to hear that stuff. It's it's the best. When I, Early in my Seahawks fandom, I was message board guy. <laughs> I was message board guy. I have not been on a message board in a long time, but I lived on Seahawks message, message boards when I was in middle school. Um, yeah, those, those were my people there for a while. I won't say... Well, maybe I will say. Do you remember the Packers running back from mid to late 2000s? Uh, Ryan Grant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ryan Grant. So, Ryan Grant, he had a he had a spell there. I mean, he was taking the ball from Brett. And maybe A.A. Ron. I can't remember exactly how long he stayed. But Ryan Grant, <laughs> there's, this, this is really funny. It was a preseason. I was, I think I was at the public library or something on Facebook. Again, Facebook chat. And uh, Ryan Grant accepted my friend request. And, you know, he got, the Packers played a preseason game like the night before. And I remember Ryan Grant got hurt. And I said, I messaged him. And I was just like, it's like, hey, Ryan. I said, how you feeling after last night? Because I was curious about his injury. And I kid you not, Stephen. Ryan Grant Facebook messaged me back and said, um, I'm straight, bro. (laughs) I said, that's all, that's all I, that's all I said. I couldn't tell if it was like a, uh, you know, orientation, you know, answer, or if he was just like saying, no, I feel good. But he said, um, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, that it wasn't supposed to be awkward. I legitimately was trying to know how you're feeling. I feel like it was, uh, <laughs> I feel like it was like he was fine. Okay. Okay. Good. That's the way I would have taken it. Well, but I, I don't know. Maybe I had a rush of blood to the head. That was unlike anything. Uh, I was like, Oh my gosh, this guy thinks I've totally hitting offended him. him or hitting on him. And I'm like, dude, no, I'm just a middle school kid. I, I swear. I just want to know how you're doing. You got, Hey, but you got all these guys to talk to you. That's how you knew you belonged to the media, dude, man. 
Yes. And I have another story about that. One time when I was a kid, do you remember the phone service? I'm, I'm laying out all my dirty laundry. It's Dirty Laundry Friday. <laughs> it's Dirty Laundry Friday. Do you remember that phone service as a kid, 411? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they had those commercials that were, you know, 411, 411. Don't need no area code to dial coast to coast. I'm this little impressionable son of a gun, and I'm like, no way. You can literally dial 411. You could talk to anybody. One summer, my brother's at football practice. You know, I'm kind of doing my thing at the house, summertime. Got time on my hands. I'm like, I'm going to try it. So I called up all my favorite football players and football coaches using 411. You dial 411, they ask you, you know, name an area code. Name in town, basically, is what they would ask you. And I, I said, Sean Alexander, um, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, because I didn't know crap about where Sean Alexander actually lived. Or maybe I found it out, but I was like, Sean Alexander, here. Um, one day, you know, and they would never really pick up. But one time, and you got to know, this was when John Gruden was, you know, big deal. I said, John Gruden, Tampa, Florida, it dials. Somebody picks up, say, hello? I said, ah, hi, is John Gruden there? I'm like, who is this? I'm like, oh, my name's Judah. I'm just a big fan out here in Oregon. He's like, oh, um, yeah, one moment. And then passes the phone, and this other guy's like, hello? And I'm like, is this, this is John Gruden? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? And he's like, now that's my son. <laughs> it's like, what do you want? I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I just wanted to talk to John Gruden. I'm a big fan. He's like, oh, yeah, no problem. So I talked to John Gruden's dad on the phone for like three or four minutes, and he was actually pretty nice. So we hang up. You know, it's all I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just talked to John Gruden's dad. What a feeling. And then uh, a couple weeks later, we're at the family dinner table, and my <laughs> Dad and mom and all my siblings are there. My dad looks at me and he says, Hey, uh, Judah, who are your favorite football players and coaches? And then I knew exactly where he was going. The guy got the phone bill. He knew what it said. And he was seeing if I was going to tell the truth. Spoilers, I did not tell the truth. I said, oh, you know, I like the Pittsburgh Steelers. I like the Houston Texans. I like, or probably Oilers at the time. You know, I like, uh, you know, all these teams and players that I knew that I didn't call. And, of course, you know, they nailed me for it. they like, no, man, we got the phone bill, and it's like 100 times more than it usually is, and it's all these calls to 411. And did you call John Gruden? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh. So, needless to say, I got in serious trouble. But I had a thing, man. I, I really wanted to talk to, to celebrities and football players any way I could. But you talked to John Gruden's dad. But I talked to John Gruden's dad. Thing. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the story is John Gruden's dad talked to you. Yeah, that's right. He, he definitely did talk to me. And uh, it made me feel like a million bucks before it costed me a million bucks. <laughs> so do you ever do you ever get starstruck or do you ever, did you ever uh, try to reach out or talk to anybody as a kid or an athlete growing up that you looked up to or uh, had a had a brush with a sports celebrity that you remember? I mean, I've brushed up with a couple of them. I don't know that I've ever really been starstruck um, around any, but uh, definitely, you know, I I told I said the one time I played black or uh, we were at the casino with JJ Hickson back in the day. Uh, <laughs> Greg Oden, we saw him one time outside of a Chipotle. Coach Vaughn said, "Hey, Greg Oden." He said, "Hey, what's up?" Which Chipotle? Uh, the one by Portland State. 
Oh yeah, I go to that one all the time. Yeah, was, Greg, Oden, Greg Oden was uh, right going into Chipotle. We were just. That's leaving. like my top lunch spot. That's my second top lunch spot right now because we're a, only a couple blocks away. It's a quality Chipotle. I'll yeah. say what. It's pretty I mean, good. Sometimes Chipotle's hit and miss. That one usually is pretty, uh, pretty consistent. You don't have to tell me. What, so, what's your go-to at Chipotle? I usually just get either it's either chicken burrito or chicken bowl, one of the two. So it's chicken. Yeah. Okay. What do you? You recommend it? What do you, a steak guy? I, I do. I always do steak, but man, they just like stingy on the steak, man. They're going. They're cutting back, huh? Everyone's trying to save money. You going stingy? You're gonna charge me thirteen thirty-seven for that thing? Do you tip at Chipotle? No, it's a personal question. No, I don't. Do mm. they? Do they still? They don't do the uh, free student drinks anymore. Probably back in the day, that was that was the thing. You well, get free student drinks if you had your student ID. Didn't matter what student ID, where you're from, you had an ID, you got a free drink, which well, was the best. And I know you probably still have your student ID on you. Probably, you're you're no, the king of all your former IDs. You still have, so you can still get those discounts. I actually don't think I have my school ID. I do have my Blazers badge from when I worked at the Blazers. Do you? Uh, I may do you or may think, not work at the Motor Center. Still. Do you think you could pass? For a student still? No, not, not even a little bit. <laughs> Do you get carded? Uh, no, I don't think so. I got carded at B-dubs like two weeks ago. I mean, I don't... I was really Yeah, I was really I'm trying to think. I think, you know... I'm 31. Last couple of years, maybe when I was in Vegas gambling, I might have got carded once. Yeah. But, yeah, not usually. Yeah. I'm past that stage now. Well, it's, it's you know, A, you look like it, and no one wants to mess with you either. That's the other thing. That's right. It's like I got the I got the dad look now. Yeah, you got the dad look. Uh, 503-417-7575. We might have a guest come through here in the next little bit, and um, you know he may or may not be in a meeting with Lionel Messi right now. Mm. That's how I'll tease that. Mm. Uh, you know, soccer. Whether or not you're a soccer fan, the uh, the the Messi's arrival in north of the border and um, playing playing professionally major league soccer is just massive. Uh, for the for the country and for the league, and we might talk to somebody that's been all over it coming up. It has another big, uh, messy broadcast coming up tomorrow. Plus, Bob Condota of the Seattle Times will break down a little Seahawks uh, preseason coming up here in a little bit as well. But in the meantime, Stephen, let's go ahead and play a little punch it audio. Some of the best sound from all around. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. All right, talking about the Seahawks, Geno Smith talking about Pete Carroll's motivating techniques ahead of uh, preseason against the Cowboys. Punch it. That's Pete, man. Um, he's a, he's the ageless wonder, man. He's uh, he's one of those guys that when you look at him, he motivates you every single day, right? You see your head coach out there running sprints. It doesn't matter how old he is. You know, he's out there. He's getting it. It's hot out here, and he's working as hard as we're working. And so when you got a head coach like that, man, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not hard to come to work and, and, and give it your all. You buying into culture, the culture of the Seahawks, Steven? You don't have to sell me. Uh, I mean, a little bit. I, I'm not a huge. Culture is important. Let me say that. I'm not trying to say it's not important, but I think it's a little overblown. Talent over culture every time. Give me the, mm. give me a more talented team over a better culture A real team. Hoosiers story. Yeah, real. Yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> not the uh, the Hickory High School Hoosiers. I'm the team they played, whoever. I forget who it was. I take the talent over the culture every time, but um, I do think it does matter when, it, when you're talking about getting to that next level, right? So you look at, you know, the Super Bowl teams and the NBA championship teams, college, whatever it is, 
to get that championship level, yeah, you got to have some type of culture. I mean, think about the Chiefs, how good they are and how well they all work together. So I do think it is somewhat important, uh, but it's more like, you know, the icing on the cake rather than the actual cake. Like, give me the talent first, then give me the culture. But I think it's pretty funny. You know, Pete Carroll's out there slinging passes around. Yeah, great arm. Running sprints around. It, it's pretty funny You might funny have a better arm him. than Chad Pennington. That's not debatable. No, yeah, I, I, take, I take Pete over Chad Pennington every day. Every day. Uh, Tyreek Hill, speaking of talent, he told reporters this week that he does not watch film. He plays Madden instead to get a scouting report on his opponent. Punch it. Nah, so so I feel like Madden has a good tell of how good players are. So I just play Madden the night before, and I go look at all their ratings. So... Let's say, for instance, they had Steve Nelson and Derek Stingley over there, two phenomenal players, by the way. Um, I just go get on Madden. I go to the EA rosters. Then I scroll down and see what their awareness is, their speed is, and they sprint. And that's how I get a good tail on them. <laughs> Genius. I'm not going to. Do you buy that? I buy it. I'd you buy don't it. think he watches film? You think he just plays Madden? I think he. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm no chance. Tyreek no Hill, he's he's crazy, man. He's crazy. I don't I don't buy that. We're one. Steven second. Nelson, former Beaver. I wonder. I what did his, like that shout out. Yeah, though, yeah, he knows who he's going up against. I think that's great. It's you a, think he does watch film? Yeah, it's a funny clip for sure. Like it's a very funny clip that he's like, nah, I don't I don't watch film. But at the same time, like, we I just got done watching the Johnny Manziel thing, and he didn't watch any Ooh. film, which is awesome, by the way. Yo, they, he watched zero film. <laughs> his iPad hours literally said zero. Like, I, the whole Kyler Murray thing, like, I just feel like if you really actually watched no film, you would admit it because people would be bashing you. Yeah. And they'd be killing you. So I, I just think it was a funny line. Like, yeah, he probably plays Madden every night before every game. I could see that where it's like, you know, if the Dolphins are playing the Bills, he does go and look at the rosters. But I think he's watching film at the same time. Yeah. Probably. I'm excited for Miami this year. And you mentioned them yesterday, you know. Yeah, John kind of shot that down. What do you think about Miami yeah, this year? Know, I like I like Miami a lot. I mean, I think the Tua health is very important, but they're also in a much better position if Tua, you know, breaks down. With uh, they got Mike White and they got who's their other quarterback? Did they draft a quarterback? I I don't think they have Skylar Thompson as their third string. I don't think. But Mike White did some serviceable stuff. Um, you know, on the Jets last year when the Jets had quarterback issues. So they do they do have Mike White and Skylar Thompson. He's a third string. They, oh, Skylar is? Okay. And frankly, Skylar, like, he battled his backside off in Buffalo in that wild card game. That was basically the reason I picked Cincinnati to beat Buffalo in the divisional was because, like, I did not like what I saw from Buffalo against Miami that day. I love Mike McDaniel. I just, that is, like, my favorite non-Seahawk head coach right now yeah. just because... Man, he's, I love his vibes. Um, but, yeah, this is a big year for them. I mean, offensively, they have maybe the most talent in the NFL. And you can't sleep on their running backs no. either. They got A-Chain from Texas A&M. He's that kid is great, a yeah. freaking burner. And then we're not even mentioning Jalen Waddle, who's one of the best receivers in the NFL. Like, that offense. Waddle's great. That offense is going to go. It's just as, you know, they play in that tough division, the AFC East. The defense, what is that going to be? But I, I do think if Tua stays healthy, I think this team is good enough to challenge the end of the AFC East to win that division and have a chance to get out of the, out of the AFC in general and get to the Super Bowl. I think they're that good. Five o'clock hour will give some of our best division bets in the NFL, and uh, I think Miami might come up in that as well. Martin Jarman, UCLA athletic director, he's on the record now.
talking about the demise of the Pac-12. Saying, well, this was a long time coming. Punch it. I think it's a number of years, right? Um, it, it, something just doesn't happen overnight. Right. But, but, um, and some things are out of your control too. Let me say that. Um, you know, you just, you just don't know. But the one thing I do know in leadership roles, you got to be in tune with two things. You got to be in tune with the people you serve. Mm-hmm. How are people feeling about things? Where are you at? And then you also got to be in tune with the marketplace. You know, what's going on in the market? Where is it going? And, um, and, and that's, those are two significant things that any leader um, has to do. And I think that, you know, this, it's just been a challenging environment for, for the conference. You think Martin Jarman will stick around to see this UCLA Big Ten move come to fruition? He's also one of the names, you know, being uh, bantered about to replace Gene Smith at Ohio State. He's on the Gene Smith tree. Yeah, um, that's a tough question. I mean, I, I don't really know, but... I only bring it up because so many guys that were involved on this Big Ten gone, expansion yeah. are gone. Mike Bone, gone. Now, obviously, you know, he's a dirty son of a gun behind the scenes, so that's part of it. Um, Kevin Warren, gone. Gene Block, gone. Um, there's just been a lot of key decision makers. So, uh, People from the Big Ten Conference administration are leaving. They took uh, one of the gals, one of the you know deputy ads of the of the Big Ten, or one of the the leader, leading administrators. She took an ad job at like Colorado State. She's gone. Like people are actively getting out of this that had direct involvement in putting it together. And I'm just like, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I feel like he'll be there, but if UCLA ends up going four and eight, five and seven every single season, maybe then he's out. Then he's out because. Yeah. I think that's a realistic possibility. I mean, UCLA, they're a solid team. Dante Moore should be really good. But when you go, you know, it's just like Jordan Kent said, you know, they're going to be playing Oregon, USC, Washington every single season. Like, every year they're going to play those teams. I mean, what's the record going to be? One and two at the best? Like, that's a tough three games. And then you got the other Big Ten teams. I mean, UCLA is, you know, by far the worst team that's going from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. Mm. I can see them struggling mm. a little bit. And then if that happens... You know, what are, what are you looking at? You're looking right at the AD and the president mm. said, let's go to the Big Ten and make all this money. Well, now we suck and we can't compete. Like, <laughs> we suck what, again. Is, is it worth it? Was it worth it? I don't know. I wonder where we would put UCLA in the Big Ten right now. Like, where would you power rank them? Well, I mean, I would put the three Pac-12 I mean, schools ahead. i got to figure out how many of these Michigan, 30 Ohio teams. Michigan, State, Penn State, <laughs> Wisconsin's probably ahead of UCLA. I'd put them at probably eight or nine, right? Below, but even with... Uh, Duckies, dogs, and yeah, Trojans. So I'd put them at like nine, probably nine, ten. Let me see. Above Indiana. Yeah. Above Maryland. Uh, sure. They're like Michigan State to me. Right. Could have a good, good year, maybe great year once every five years. Show up in the college football playoff and lose thirty-one nothing, thirty-eight nothing. Would they lose to Bama? Whatever it was that Connor Cook team. You know, better than Rutgers. Yeah, better than Illinois, even though Illinois is trending up. Yeah, so they're like eight, nine, seven. Iowa, maybe? you think? Iowa's probably. Better Iowa's team, a better right? Big Ten team than UCLA. So is Wisconsin. <laughs> oh, definitely Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean I, that's what I'm saying. Like this definitely is like, Wisconsin. They're like eight. They're like ninth in the Big Ten right now. Yeah. Of course, there's you know a thousand. A thousand teams, teams but yeah, that's fascinating. Well, that's punch it audio, best sound from all around. There's a few more uh, audio cuts we'll reset later on in the show, but yeah. I don't know, man. I feel like a lot of people that help put this together are not sticking around to see it through. And it just gets me wondering why that is and if it's truly in everybody's best interest to make this happen. Uh, by the way, Rob Mullins is one of those people. I I don't know anything, and I have not heard anything 
but I'm looking at Rob Mullen's future at Oregon. How long does he want to be the AD of a school that's jumping to the Big Ten is going to deal with a lot more than just the advantages of football in the Big Ten? Well, like, when he talked to John <laughs> at Pac-12 Media Day, he didn't seem like it was yeah, really a possibility. I don't think that. This is just me. Educated guess. I don't think Rob Mullins is at Oregon much longer. That's my guess. 503-417-7575. Talk more about it on the other side. Get a little Seahawks preseason take uh, mixed in there as well from Bob Kendo to the Seattle Times later this hour. Give you some divisional value bets that we like in the NFL this year as well. Talk more ducks and beeves and everything along the way. It is Newbie and Vaughn in for John Cazano on the Bald Face Truth. <laughs> Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano on a Friday. Can we call it a football Friday or is it a little premature? I mean, we're a week away from week zero, Judah. Football Friday, it is. I know you're not super psyched about week zero. I couldn't be more excited. Well, I'll tell you what. I got a little one. She's got a birthday next weekend. That's true. So that's where my focus is. Two-year-old two birthday. I think we're going zoo theme. So like two to the zoo, I think, is what we're doing. So That makes sense. Mine are a little older, so yeah. I stopped caring about them, and now I care about football. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Hopefully they're not listening. I mean, Love it's you the bald-faced truth for a reason. Yeah, you know, I'm speaking to But, truth. dude, you took him to Dave & Buster's earlier this week. Best dad ever. My shoulder is jacked. What happened? Well, so there, there's a game there. I don't... It was the size of a baseball, the ball that we throw, but it was softer. But it was like his target practice. So if you hit it in the middle of the target, you got times 32, times by how fast you're throwing, yada, yada, yada. And it combines some score. Spits out a score. It gives you tickets. So, so you're trying to throw it fast and throw it accurate. Yes. So, of course, as a man, as a guy, sports guy, big sports you're guy that I am. big sports guy. I am going to go and see how hard I can throw. Yeah, now, big time. Now, you know, I... I I went out there, and I didn't throw as hard as I could right away. You know, I threw him somewhat and sped it up a little bit, and then I finally reached back and tossed one. Still wasn't my hardest. I didn't want to completely break my shoulder, but I think I did anyways. Got up to 72 and a half miles an hour, Judah. I don't know. No big deal. But uh, It's Uncle Rico status. But my shoulder is now completely jacked, and that was on Wednesday. Oof. So it's been two days later, and it's not doing great. I'm a little worried about it. Do you sleep on your shoulder? I don't know. I don't know how I sleep. You don't know how you sleep? I sleep I on my. I, I jack up my shoulder when I sleep. Mm. I got to figure that out. I also grind my teeth. Dentist thinks I'm a fireman. Dentist says that people with high stress jobs grind their teeth. So he gives me a mouth guard. I think great. This is like high school football all over again. You boil the boil the mouth guard in the hot water, and uh, then you wear it around. You form it to your mouth. Except now it's damn every night, and it's this plastic thing that's. The furthest thing from comfortable, the furthest thing that makes me feel like a football player. But apparently, I told my wife, I was like, I guess I'm a fireman because I grind my teeth at night and I have a high-stress job. She's like, well, that's great. That's good for you. That being said, I do empathize for you, shoulder pain, throwing a baseball. Uh, as someone that played baseball through high school as well, that's probably why I dropped down to like three-quarters sidearm. I didn't pitch you know, from my junior year on. But uh, that throw from second base to first base, people think it's easy. You know, go ask Chuck Doblock. See how he did. Okay? Now, I, I hummed that thing in there like Kent Murphy, and I still got an elbow and shoulder to show for it, but probably because I dropped down a little bit. Give that ball a little tail. There's a photo of me, I think, in my hometown newspaper where I'm turning a double play, 
the poor kid is sliding into second base, and I'm about to like take his head off with my arm slot. He's sliding in there. She's like two feet off the ground. I'm about to give him a right hook as I throw the ball to first base. That's how low my arm slot was. But you better believe I turned that thing. You turned it, dude. You got, I, you I got turned the that feet thing. work. You got the feet work. No, uh, no bat. Well, little bat. I got good bat control. I could hit a ground ball the other way to move a guy from second to third. <laughs> I'd sacrifice it for the team. That's what you're doing. My best power was warning track power. We played a game at Linfield one day. I crushed this ball. Dude, just crushed it. Landed right in the warning track. Mm. <laughs> Didn't even get to the wall. Weight room, bro. Weight room. Standing room triple. Yep. Or a uh, standing room. Standing up double, uh, triple. And, uh, yeah, weight room, that was not my strong strength in baseball. But, dude, that was so fun. I, I will never that, forget that. I did that at my parents' house the other day. They were uh, hitting, <laughs> hitting wiffle balls. And my uh, my dad pitched me one. I hit one, and I thought I got all of it, hit the fence, and I just yelled, ah, oh, weight room. Oh, do you play low wiffle ball from time to time? It's the, so fun. My parents' backyard, is a, it used to, the trees kind of grew and got bigger and bigger and kind of blocked the passageways now, but... Uh, we used to have some crazy good wiffle ball games in the backyard. So, yeah, I feel like wiffle ball still holds up. Cornhole still holds up. Pickleball is out. Other backyard games that you can play, you know, drinking with some friends or just having some refreshments. Like cornhole is up there, but wiffle ball, you know, you can't sleep on wiffle ball. Badminton, sneaky fun if you've got the the stuff. Volleyball is great. Don't bring in pickleball anymore. Like to me. You know, it's just a psychological about, uh, thing. Croquet. Great one. Croquet actually might be the best. Croquet is awesome. Um, also, if you have, like, the plastic golf ball, yeah, that's fun, too. Because then you can wail on it in your lawn as long as you don't mind getting divots in your lawn. And uh, you can hit the golf ball, you know, a country quarter mile. And it's it's a lot of fun that way. But... I do feel bad for your shoulder, and uh, but hey, good for you for going to Dave and Buster's and enjoying that. We were talking about UCLA's move to the Big Ten. Where would they rank among teams in the Big Ten? Uh, Kenneth in the five hundred three on X, you know that app. Um, he says Minnesota is greater than UCLA. Brother, brother, brother. I'd have to agree with him. Right. Now. Well, that feels like the that feels like the same program to me right now, and. Polar opposite parts of the country, basically. But but, that, but isn't that the isn't that in the terms whole of point, success though? and brand? That's, yeah, that's the yeah. whole point. Is that like we can't, we'll never take UCLA seriously. I mean, it's not that we really took him seriously in the Pac-12, but they will never be considered seri- taken seriously in the Big Ten. What does taken seriously mean? Like top four in the conference? Yeah, I have to agree with that. Unless Dante Moore is special. That's the thing, right? If you got right. a quarterback that ends up being just flat out special, that's that's different. But yeah, I think UCLA, I've got to see it to believe it with them as far as being a big 10 team that can make that move and and be good with it. Like I was like they they went to Cincinnati not that long ago. Maybe it may have been a few years ago now. Chip I Chip bet Chip. that I remember betting that game. DTR, I want to say it was yes. his first game. I think it was his first game. I was hyped. And they lost like 24-13, turned the ball over a ton. And I think I had UCLA plus four. And uh, that that really stung. And I'm like, man, they can't go on the road and beat Cincinnati. Now, it might have been Desmond Ritter, like sophomore year maybe. 
junior year. Obviously, he's going to be the starter for the Falcons, but um, I still thought, man, I don't know that I can just trust Chip Kelly on the road. You know, when you lose bets, you you start to make conclusions about teams completely. It's like, dude, I cannot. How do you deal with that, Stephen? You've done this a lot longer for and with a lot more reps than I have. Can you recycle losing bets and just jump back on teams to think they're the good side? Like, do you chase with teams? Definitely. I mean, it, yeah, it's human nature to do that. I try not to as much as I can, but no, you definitely go back to the same teams over and over. Like, if you, especially if you have an opinion before the season, you're like, oh, this team's going to be pretty good. And then you bet on them, they lose, and you're like, no, this team's going to be fine. I'm going to bet on them again. And then they lose again. You're like, no, I, I was I was right about this. I promise. <laughs> I promise I'm right about this. So, no, I mean, I think it's human nature, but I try I try my best not to do that. So Chicago Bears Thursday night game Commanders, against Washington last year. This is a running joke between you and I because I totally convinced you to bet Chicago, and I was, like, all in on Chicago at home Thursday night. They would look good the week before, and then they score seven points against the Commandos with Carson Wentz on the road in primetime. I was like, are you serious right now? And Darnell Mooney, like, drops the game-winning touchdown that would have covered. Bears were in the red oh. zone at least three times, maybe four. They moved the ball so well and could not score to save their it's lives. It's still the right side. It's still the right side. Absolutely. How fun was it to have uh, Stanford Steve on the show with Canzano uh, last week? Love Stanford Steve. I mean, so I, good. back when I worked with the Blazers, I would just listen to sports radio all day. And I couldn't wait to listen to SVP and Rosillo. And he was, you know, he's on that show as well. Like, that's one of my favorite radio shows. Maybe my favorite of all time. So I love Stanford Steve from that. And then, of course, you know, he's talking betting. And that's right out my wheelhouse. Love that stuff. So it was it was great to hear him, man. Well, whenever, you know, you're on the side of a bad beat, you know, you think of SVP and, and Stanford Steve. And uh, he had some great takes on, obviously, what's happening with Stanford in the Pac-12 and all that. Meanwhile, Stephen, you uh, just let me know that our own John Canzano, the regular host of the Baldface Truth with John Canzano, he has tweeted something regarding Oregon State. What has he put out there? Yeah, so he put this out. He said the Oregon State Board of Trustees is going to hold a special meeting on August 25th, which is next Friday, to hear, quote, updates on university athletics and, quote, among other things. So take that for what it is. Uh, next Friday, week from today, Board of Trustees at Oregon State will be having a special meeting that was not scheduled until today. So, hmm. Talk about university athletic updates on university athletics. I wonder what that'll be, Judah. It seems like to me right now, and you know, I'd love to get your thought on this. It seems like Oregon State again. They they're kind of in a waiting game. They're waiting on Stanford and Cal to figure out what they're going to do, and then Oregon State is going to bounce off of that. Now, if or if Stanford and Cal end up going to the ACC, I think Oregon State is kind of stuck in what they want to do. It's Mountain West or bust at that point. But maybe Stanford and Cal say we want to go to the American, and then Oregon State falls in there. I, I think they're kind of waiting on what they do. Stanford and Cal, they say we're going to stay with the Pac-12. Oregon State stays. Oregon State's in a tough spot again, yeah. man. It's 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 just a waiting game for them. Like, they are just, they're just the, odd, they're the ugly duckling. And it's just unfortunate because they are a you great football on, program. Did you do that on purpose? I didn't. I just thought of it right now, but it was really probably bad. because Ugly ducks. duckling? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought of it. Uh, uh, well, well played. Well Thanks. played. But you're right, man. I mean, it is definitely a tough spot. Scott Barnes was terrific, I thought. And he is still making waves across multiple media outlets. Um, you know, he is harboring no positive feelings for Oregon. Uh, that's safe to say. And, you know, he's like, yeah, the future of scheduling the Ducks, that is not a priority. Do you, uh, do you, have you seen some of this stuff floating around too that suggests that it was Washington that made the first move and Oregon followed to the Big Ten? Like, I feel that's what Wilner is getting. And the, the Husky folks, 
are just riding with it. They're like, yeah, we we moved to the Big Ten first, and the Ducks are riding our coattails. And then Kazano's coming over the top of it. He's like, hey, uh, which school has Phil Knight? Oh, okay. Does that's it the school matter, that I for. And then that's the other thing. Does it actually freaking matter? Does it matter? No. It, do, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Like they're both gone, and you could say it was Oregon. You say it was Washington, but like they're both gone. I mean, what we could just blame one more than the other? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We want to be the villains. No, we want to be the villains. So petty. It is. Let's figure it out on the football field. I guess that's the rivalry part of it, right? Like no Washington doubt. and Oregon just hate each other, and, yeah. and the whole thing was Oregon made the decision. Washington followed. Well, then everyone in Seattle says no. It couldn't be that because we're better than Oregon. So yeah, from that point, I get it, but like. As an outsider, like, I don't care who made the decision. Like, I would have probably made the same decision everyone else did. And it seems like to me, Oregon was the ones that they had all the decision making. Well, if you listen to Scott Barnes, though, he said that everything was locked, loaded, ready Thursday night. And then the schools that left for the Big Ten made an emotional decision in the 11th hour. He doesn't think it was premeditated. At least he doesn't say that on the record. You know, he thinks that there's going to be buyer's remorse for the Ducks and and the Huskies. And you, you don't believe that? No, I don't. You think that I, Oregon was all was never going to take that Apple deal? No, I think once once it was the Apple deal and nothing, there was really not about a lot of linear TV deal. I think that's when it was over because no. you just if you're Oregon, you can't take that risk of being it all subscription based. It just doesn't make any sense if you're the brand of the Oregon Ducks. You can't take that deal, and so. For them to say that and have it just be, you know, an Apple TV deal, all subscriptions, like it's I understand it from everyone else's point of view, but you're Oregon, man, you're you're kind of bigger than that. Like your brand is bigger than that. As soon as that deal came about, I think that they thought, okay, we need to look at the Big Ten and hopefully they want us back. And they did. That's that's the way the cookie crumbles. Uh we'll talk about it more in the the final hour. Five oh three four one seven seventy five seventy five if you've got any thoughts on that. Let's get a little check on the Seahawks, shall we? Uh, I'm always good for that when uh, we're in the chair for JC. Bob Kadota, Seattle Times, talks a little Hawks. Preseason with the Cowboys tomorrow night. Uh, talk about that and more on the other side. Bald face truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano. Friday, bald face truth. Canzano will be back Monday. You know, when I'm in the chair, I always got to talk a little Seahawks. Preseason continues tomorrow night. Today's Friday, right? Yeah, today's Friday. Uh, I get all these, you know, dates confused in my head because preseason games are happening. Like, it feels like the COVID year. They're almost like every day of the week at this point. Uh, Not really. But I'm watching uh, Panthers-Giants in preseason right now with Bryce Young getting some run and... Starters playing a little bit. Let's see what's going on with the Seahawks. Let's go out to uh, the Seattle Times. Bob Condota joining us on the line. Bob, it's great to talk to you. How are you? Good, yeah. Hey, how you doing? Good. By the way, I know you covered Husky football for a long time, so let me actually start there. What do you make of everything swirling around the Pac-12 and, of course, with UW joining Oregon and going to the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, since I don't really cover that, I don't have a lot of great. I don't have a lot of insight into what happened, but uh, for sure, I mean, I, I basically made about 30 years of my career covering that conference, and 
um, it's certainly sort of sad to to just see it dissolve and not you know to think that there's not going to be an apple cup and you know on Thanksgiving. I mean, I can't imagine that you know that there's any way that's going to be that's going to be continued, um, especially that time of the year. Anyway, I mean, for you know, I know in my own self for basically 20 years, my my life calendar was sort of work in the fall and. And you know, I put up the Christmas lights the day, the day after the apple cup. That was sort of sort of our family tradition. Was it was like, well, okay, that's the end of uh, that's the end of that that part of the year, and now we are under the holiday season kind of thing. And I think a lot of people are like that. And, and so all those kind of traditions and rhythms of college athletics and, and what all those trips and games and things like that mean to people are really going to be disrupted. And so it's it's going to be a, a whole new world. And you know, and maybe there's a way that, that 10 or 15 years from now there, there could be some traditions that have been reestablished or, or new ones uh, new ones sort of gained that people enjoy and all of that. But I think for an awful lot of people who sort of grew up with, uh, you know, a lot of the glory years of this conference in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, and through, through to the current day, um, uh, to me it's just it's sort of sad, uh, just, just the way that it's come to this. Yeah, you just hit me in the, in the heart there because Civil War down here, that was – Either the the morning of the Civil War or the day after the Civil War, we'd go out and get the Christmas tree and, you know, usher in the Christmas seat. Like, that's what we did. A very similar to how I'm sure people scheduled around the Apple Cup and ushered in the holiday season and all that. You're right, Bob. It's going to – it's a whole new world, and it is kind of sad. Kind of on that note, you know, what – I know Pete Carroll, he shares his mind about the state of, you know, college athletics today. What is – what are some of the things that Pete says about where the college game is headed or, or where it is? Yeah, I actually asked him about that a couple of weeks ago, I guess, you know, the kind of a couple of days after that all happened when we had a chance to talk to him. And, um, you know, he just said he used the word disappointed and just said he, he was disappointed in college athletics and that he just felt that a lot of things are being lost that made it great. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's funny because Pete really doesn't have that long of an association with college college athletics and with college football. You know, he, he's so obviously well-known for his USC years. But other than that, you know, he was mostly in the NFL. And so, um, you know, he does have that sort of 10-year association with USC and a couple other years as assistants at a couple other places. But, uh, um, I, you know, I, I think it's a, I think it's a one – you know, the, for a few years there was always a talk of, oh, would Pete go back to college or, or, or things like that. And I, I don't think he's ever considered it. You know, I, I think he's I think he likes that the NFL – um, it's sort of maybe a little more understandable right now than college athletics is. You know, you sort of know what you got. You got a salary cap, and everybody's on the same level playing field, and you know everybody's working with the same amount of money and the same way that the draft works and stuff like that. You know, um, and it's it, there's sort of that real that real sort of battle there, and I think Pete sort of likes that. But that was the word he used a couple of different times was just sort of being disappointed in college athletics or just feeling like a lot of things that um, you know made it great are being lost. Bob Condota, Seattle Times, covers the Seahawks. Uh, preseason continues against the Cowboys tomorrow. What do we know about uh, if the starters will play, and if so, for how long? Uh, I, we don't know any of that specifically. Uh, you know, Pete, somewhat oddly to me, is incredibly close to the vest on that. You know, I, like Andy Reid just flat, flat blurts out how long the starters are going to play. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, there's no discompetitive if there's a competitive disadvantage there, it hasn't hurt the Kansas City Chiefs the last few years um, to, to reveal that information. But Pete just doesn't do that. So, um, you know, there's sort of some guesswork. If, if they were to play some, this would be the game they would. Uh, you know, they spent this week doing, um, treating it like a normal game week to go through that routine of, 
of understanding how a normal game week works. And so they did do the whole thing of sort of preparing, um, you know, uh, against the scout team and stuff like that, like throwing up some Cowboys plays and preparing against the scout team. Um, you know, how much of that was to try to get some starters to play this week and how much of that was just simply to go through the process and teaching all the young guys this is how this is how we do things. Um, last year, I, I actually went back and looked, and last year game two was when they did play some of the starters a little bit. Hmm. Um, you know, it was the one time DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett played played they only played one series but they did play um and uh, you know a few other guys did play a little bit more in that game but you know I, uh body preservation is really the main thing they're concerned about right now you know they don't need to see Geno smith play i mean they see him play every day out there on the practice field anyway they don't need to you know tyler lockett at this stage of his career really doesn't need to do that so um you know they i think there's a few starters who they will want to see play you know like the quarterbacks who played last week i think maybe they'll want to see those guys play again to further um, uh, you know, to give them a little bit more information about where the battles are at those spots. Uh, you know, some of the offensive linemen, again, we saw two of the starting offensive linemen play quite a bit last week. The other three did not. Um, I don't know if they would want to throw the whole line out there for a series or two just to see how it works playing together, um, you know, that sort of thing. But, I, you know, I certainly wouldn't count on seeing them for long, even if you see them out there. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that it will be long enough to, to, to judge much of anything on, but certainly it would make it a little more fun, I guess, if you saw those guys out there for a little bit. Bob, I tell you what, my expectations and anticipation for Jackson Smith and Jigba couldn't be any higher as a Seahawks fan. I think he's going to be plug-and-play impact player. You've been up close. You've been you know, uh, following training camp, and I know he played a little bit with in Minnesota. What do you, what do you see out of JSN, and just you know, what what are the expectations for him in that offense? Yeah, I mean, he's been really good. He finally uh, he finally dropped a pass this week in a team. Oh, no, no, but that was the first time. <laughs> yeah, it was the first time we'd seen that happen. Uh, you know, he looks really smooth and assured and confident out there. Uh, you know, he, he's the perfect slot receiver for them right now. I mean, that's where, you know, he'll probably line up there 80% of the time, um, allowing DK and, and Tyler to be on the outside and, and sort of have a real sort of steady set three receiver rotation. As, as you know, following this team closely, they've been trying for quite a while <laughs> to find a third receiver mm-hmm. and sort of have a set three-man rotation. You know, last year, Marquise Goodwin, you know, they dropped the DS grid to try to do that. That, that you know, that hasn't worked out. Um, you know, there's been all kinds of guys they've thrown into that, um, you know, uh, for really for for about a decade they really haven't had had anybody consistently there and um you know that was part of why they did that was to was to try to get that and and you know really have a have a three-man rotation there that they really feel like you know all three guys are sort of equals and if you want to try to double somebody you know the last two years they sort of had if you want to try to double tyler then dk will throw to dk all the time and then vice versa and that's why you see you know, everybody always asks, why does Tyler catch 200 yards one game and 35 the next? And it's, and it's a lot of times it's because the team sort of tries to take one guy out and leave the other guy in man coverage, so they throw to the guy in man coverage. Mm-hmm. But if you got three guys that way, that makes it that much harder. And so that's what they're trying to create is that all three of those guys, um, you know, are, are guys that you might want to double cover, but you can't double cover all three of them. And so, um, you know, I think he's going to, you know, he's a rookie, so there might be some of those inevitable growing pains and whatever. Everybody sort of has those a little bit uh, as they work their way into the NFL, but I think everybody will be really surprised if he's not a significant contributor to this team this year. Year two of this defensive scheme change. Secondary on paper is really, you know, gets me excited. Now I'm biased, but what do you make of the shape and the evolution of this defense now with uh, Clint Hurt in year two? Yeah, and um, you know, and, and I think I, I think they're going back a little bit to some of what they did before. You know, I, I think there's a little bit of a, a little bit going to be a little bit more mixing. You know, some three four, so four three. We see quite a bit of 
quite a bit of both. I don't know if you'll see tomorrow. Um, you know, you know, it, it, the game last week, all they did was line up in a base defense and play that the whole game. So, uh, you know, there were a lot of things we see in practice they didn't show against Minnesota, and I doubt they're going to show it in these preseason games. But, um, you know, come the, come the September 10th against the Rams, I think there's a lot of varied looks they want to show at them. You know, the biggest thing they they want to be is just to be really multiple, and that's what they're doing with the secondary, with trying a lot of guys in some, some different spots and, you know, having, uh, you know, signing Julian Love and hoping Jamal Adams comes back and, and being able to play three safeties uh, together quite a bit where you can match up against what offenses want to do instead of just lining up with 11 guys and, and you know, letting the offense sort of dictate the matchups go the other way and dictate that a little bit. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that all works out once everybody's sort of healthy. Uh, you know, the big question mark is just the interior defensive line. Um, you know, I, I think they're pretty happy with their ends, Draymond Jones and Mario Edwards. Uh, and, you know, they seem to really like the idea of Jaron Reed at nose tackle. I know some other people <laughs> looking from the outside maybe question that a little bit, but, you know, we'll see how that works. I, I, I think, uh, you know, they did draft Cameron Young. They think Brian Monet will be back eventually, and that's if there's one spot on the team, you can expect them to really kind of scour the waiver wires or just see if somebody's available in a trade. As things come uh, things come around, you know, it's the nose tackle spot. I, I, think in, I think they feel like, in their system, that's not a spot that a guy needs long to adjust to. You know, you're basically, you're basically just you would just be asking a guy to play on first and second down and, and you know take the center out of the play kind of thing. And so yeah. I think they feel like they could you know that's not something they need to teach a guy a, a lot of the playbook to be able to do. So it, so it won't surprise me if that's a spot where they make an addition at some point. Bob, really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. B F now, built by high-caliber millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the ball-faced truth. Yeah, the show is flying by on a Friday. 503-417-7575. We'll get the 5 at 5 coming up next. Get you some of our favorite division bets in the NFL. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn. Stephen, you've got the 5 at 5 coming up, but... I got to say, and you can tell me if this is, this is part of it or not. Do you see who committed to the University of Alabama football program today? You know, Judah, I did. I did see this. Uh, not part of the 5-5, five five, but I, <laughs> I did see it. Pretty pretty fun. So, Dre Kirkpatrick Jr. committed to Nick Saban's Roll Tide. He is the son of Dre Kirkpatrick Sr., Drake Kirkpatrick Sr., I thought was still in the NFL. He's only 33 years old. He was a first-round pick of the Cincinnati Bengals uh, back in the day. He is 33 years old. He turns 34 in October. He was a first-round pick of Cincinnati back in 2012. For context, that's the Russell Wilson draft, right? That's the Andrew Luck draft. 2012 RG3 Drake Kirkpatrick was a first round pick in the RG3 Andrew Luck draft in the Russell Wilson draft today his son committed to Alabama I mean that that makes me feel really old and I'm still kind of stunned all at the same time should I be stunned is where is that you know like to me I, I remember this guy in college like yesterday, you at it, Alabama. It now just, his son's going to Alabama. It just means you're getting older, Judah. That's all it is. It I gets, mean, it's one it thing weirder. for Joey Porter 
to have Joey Porter Jr. at Penn State and now with the Steelers. But that was Joey Porter. He's he played like, you know, oh five, oh seven, oh eight. Like I, I could deal with that. First round pick in two thousand twelve. He was playing in the NFL all the way up until two thousand twenty one. And now he's got a kid going to Bama. Now he's not at Bama yet, but he, he's committed to Nick Saban. And there's a photo of Nick Saban with Drake Kirkpatrick Sr. and Jr. and uh, the mom all there. And I, I don't know. That hurt my head a little bit to see Drake Kirkpatrick Jr. already committed to Alabama. You want to know what I saw? I Boy, saw today. Saban. Um, for some reason, I started looking up uh, college basketball stuff for some incoming freshmen. Edron James Jr. He just committed to Cincinnati. He's, he'll be a freshman mm. at Cincinnati this year. I thought that was pretty fun. For basketball? For basketball, not football. Oh, basketball. interesting. Yeah. Edron James Jr. Because so Edron James, obviously he went to the U. When? 2002? You know? Yeah. That's what I'm like. He was on the Manning teams in 05, right? 04, 05 around there. Maybe it was before 2002. I, I mean, don't he's know. 40, he's 45 now, so it, so, it makes sense. But it Yeah, just, it does know. make me feel a little bit old, though. Yeah. I love those old teams. Those, uh, the players that you grew up watching. Do you know who Edron James finished his career with? What year? 2009. Oh, oh, oh. Um, it wasn't the Cardinals, was it? It was not the Cardinals. I know he played for the Cardinals. He did. So, by the way, so did Emmett Smith. Don't sleep on the Emmett Smith Arizona Cardinals. This is a good one for Immaculate uh, Grid. Oh, it's a hell of a one. For, dude, I, uh, I'm i getting better at Immaculate Grid. It's fun. Um, what conference? Uh, NFC. Edron James finished Seahawks? He did. <laughs> Seven games. I didn't know he forgot. played for the Seahawks. I forgot Julius Jones played for the Seahawks. I always think of Julius Jones as the Cowboy. By the way, Cowboy Seahawks at Lumen Field. You know, you know my mind goes to one place, and that is 2006 wildcard, Tony Romo dropping the snap. That, oh, you talk about things living rent-free in your head in bad ways, that thing is constantly on repeat in my head in the best way possible. That is like one of my favorite moments as a kid growing up, the Romo dropping the snap. That was before Romo was Romo. You know, this is right when he's taken over for Bledsoe. We should get Bledsoe on the show again. We have him on the show pretty regularly. By the way, yeah, you could talk wazoo, you talk wine, you could talk, you know, NFL, and I gotta ask him about being on the sideline when Parcells went to Romo that year, and Romo drops the snap, and Seattle wins the game. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you, Tony, for that. But yeah, that Dre Kirkpatrick Jr. with Dre Kirkpatrick Sr. not even two years removed from the NFL, he is committed to Alabama to play for Roll Tide. Now that's a program right there. That's a program. All right, Stephen, let's cue it up. Let's do the five at five. The five at five. Number one. Number one, Judah. Well, John Canzano is out today, but he's still breaking news as he always does. Uh, John, he tweeted out earlier today about Oregon State. He says the Oregon State Board of Trustees is going to hold a special meeting on August 25th, which will be next Friday from today to hear quote updates on university athletics and quotes among other things uh seems like oregon state maybe figuring out what they're going to do and then by friday maybe next friday a decision could be made on where oregon state is going to be playing in the 2024 season what conference what they're looking at um you know what's your thoughts on that what do you think oregon state is going to be doing 
when we're thinking 2024, is the Bees going to be part of the Mountain West? Is it going to be the Pac-4? What are they doing? It makes me think they know that something with Stanford and Cal is going to happen before next Friday, obviously. We thought something with Stanford and Cal might happen today or tomorrow at the latest. I still think I'm going to wake up to a notification tomorrow from you know, a reputable uh, reporter with the news on Stanford and Cal either to the ACC or, or not. So that's the first domino to fall. So I think Oregon State is probably thinking, look, like, hey, that's going to happen, so we might as well get our internal house in order. And what they say that up that that meeting is for updates, right? That's for updates, but I mean there's a there's a chance that that meeting could be a final vote of approval on on a move of some kind, but it won't be it won't be the first domino. Like the first domino is Stanford and Cal. Frankly, I'm I'm a little bit surprised that we haven't seen anything on Sta- Have you seen anything Stanford Cal today? Nothing nothing today. Cuz yesterday yeah. that was all the buzz. It was like we're going to hear something Friday, going to hear something Friday. And it's like I haven't heard anything quite yet. So, until that shoe drops, I don't think the meeting next Friday with Oregon State is going to be like breaking news. Um but if Stanford and Cal obviously go to the ACC, then yeah, that meeting next Friday for the Beavers is going to be either Mountain West, uh, AAC or I don't know what other option they've got, but what do you think is the not best a lot option? Of option? I mean, Mountain West just it's not great, but none of the options are great. I would probably say Mountain West cuz I would say Mountain West for 2 years. And then come back up and try to re-establish, re-identify, maybe go out and try to poach a few more things. Like, that's what I would do. What would you do? I th- I think that the AAC, the American, is the best option if they can get Stanford and Cal to go with them. I think that is because I think the goal ultimately is to get back to one of the Power Four conferences. And when you look at the Mountain West and the AAC, the teams from the AAC have left and gone to bigger conferences. So I think if you did go to the AC, got the national recognition that they have, and are still looking to get to the Big 12 or the Big 10 or whatever it is. Whatever the AA, so you, you think it's good perception-wise for the AAC that they've had schools leave? Yes, I do. Okay. I think it's good. Because you could argue I, I think it's that, the other way. I think they, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that they know they know their role in the business of college football and college athletics. That they do, yeah. And that is to be a middle conference that <laughs> teams are looking to get out of. Exactly. And so I think, it, I think if you're Oregon State, you're trying to get to a bigger conference, I think you go to the AAC and hopefully have a good spot there. But I think that's also contingent on Stanford and Cal going with you. If they decide they don't want to go and they're going to the ACC, that's when you look to go to the Mountain West, kind of yeah. as, a, as a, you know, as a, um, as the, as the uh, fallback, fallback, or, yeah. the fallback schools. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think you said it. The AAC knows what it is. And to have at least an identity to know who you are is like not even half the battle. It's 80% of the battle, I think, these days. Brett, you or Mark knew what the Big 12 is and what they wanted to do. They did it. Still the same with the Big 10. Every conference, if you know who you are, you're going to be fine. If you don't know who you are, you got an identity crisis, you're going to fold. You know, e.g., Pac-12 conference. Number two, Stephen. Well, number two, James Harden. We talked about this a little bit, but James Harden, of course, he was in China at a camp, and he said he will never be a part of an organization with Daryl Morey, Morey again because he's a liar. Well, the other day, uh, KHOU11 in Houston caught up with James Harden at a softball event that he holds in Houston, and Harden had some things to say. Do you have an open line of communication with, with the 76ers, and how much patience do you need to have to, to let this play out? I'm just, I'm, I've been patient all summer, so uh, for me, it's just uh, focus on what I can control, and that's, uh, you know, working out, staying in shape, and uh, getting ready for a good season. Too late to repair the relationship? Uh, I think so. 
too late to repair the relationship, trying to stay in shape. I will say he didn't look like he was in the best of shape, but uh, not as bad as shape as James Harden has been in before. He's been in worse shape, I'll give you that. But James Harden says, thinks the relationship is uh, past, too much to repair, won't talk to Philadelphia, whatever. Does this have any effect on Damian Lillard? That's my mm -hmm. question, because you could argue the Blazers still have Damian Lillard. There had been talks that they wanted Joel Embiid during the offseason, during the playoffs. They have assets, right? If they really are serious about this, they have Scoot Henderson, they have Shane Sharp, they have draft picks, they have assets to try to trade for Embiid. Does this change anything with the Damian Lillard timeline now that Dame is still in Portland and now James Harden and Joel Embiid seem like they're done in Philadelphia? Well, I think, no, it doesn't, but... I think it's a non-zero chance that something crazy happens as a result. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. you know, before this James Harden stuff, it was 0% chance that Portland was going to build around Damian Lillard like they said they ever would, right? He's asked out. The Miami stuff seems real, yada, yada, yada. This Harden stuff gives me like 2% hope that something crazy can happen because of the Embiid. If Embiid comes free and... You can just sell, like, if it really turns south in a hurry on Daryl, then they just might go into, like, like, I saw Henry Abbott, True Hoop, he basically wrote something on, you know, are the 76ers on the verge of blowing it up Yeah. because of all this. I'm like, well, if you're going to blow it up, there's going to be shrapnel. And if there's shrapnel, maybe it's your 14-win Portland Trailblazers picking up some of the goodies and, and going from there. Maybe you don't have to trade Scoot, Shaden, and Ant. For, for Embiid, maybe you do. I don't know. But, you know, it, I think there's 2% chance. Maybe more, but it's not zero. And, you know, 48 hours ago it was. I, see, I think it's still 0% chance that it directly, you know, Embiid comes to Portland. I think it's 0% chance. I don't think Joe Cronin wants to build around Dame. And I've said that for a, for years. Like, I just don't think he wants yeah. to. And so I don't think this is going to change. But what I do think of how it can correlate to Dame is maybe Philadelphia is more interested in being a third or a fourth team in a trade that facilitates oh, Dame yeah. to Miami. So I think that does have some effect. Also, this now gives Miami some leverage. Maybe they want James Harden. They can say, you know what? We don't need Dame. We can just go out and get James Harden. We need a guard that can control the basketball. Mm. Portland, we don't need to offer you all we can offer. So I, I think indirectly it affects the Damian Lillard trade, uh, but I don't think it affects actually Joel Embiid to Portland. He's only at 0%, but I think... Miami can kind of use this as a little bit of leverage to hopefully say, hey, Portland, we don't necessarily need it anymore. You want to trade Dame to us? You want to make Dame happy? You're going to have to take some type of deal or else we'll just go out and get James Harden for nothing yeah. because that, that's what his value is. I want to believe I want to believe that. I think James Harden and Miami would be just epic right now. But heat culture, James Harden, doesn't fit. doesn't really fit in my mind. They, they pride themselves. Wise. They pride themselves on conditioning and defense, <laughs> not cupcakes and defense. Where on the scale of Raymond Felton to William the Fridge Perry is James Harden right now? Weight wise, uh, he's not, <laughs> he's more he's more Raymond Felton, but uh, it has it could definitely fluctuate for sure. That is a uh, that is a Raymond Felton situation <laughs> waiting to happen. <laughs> Number three. So the Angels, they have struggled this season, going to be out of the playoffs again with Shohei and Mike Trout, but they made some news today as they are calling up first baseman Nolan Chanel less than six weeks after taking him with the 11th pick in the draft. Chanel has logged fewer than 100 minor league plate appearances across 21 games at double-A before his call-up. He is starting tonight due to hitting leadoff Whoa. against the Rays tonight. He batted, uh, he played at Florida Atlantic. Not not Florida State, not Florida, but Florida Atlantic 
where he batted 447 with a 615 on base percentage. 21 years old, still was not expected to be the first player to call up from the draft, but he's the first player since the 20th century to debut so soon after just 40 days in the minors. Fifth quickest drafted player in Major League history to make it to the Major Leagues. <laughs> what was his stat line at Florida Atlantic? 447 with a 615 on base percentage, 19 home runs, 71 walks, 14 strikeouts. In 289 plate appearances. What the heck was that guy doing at Florida Atlantic? You know how much good college baseball is in Florida? It must be great because this guy's at Florida Atlantic and he completely dominated. Roids? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, so he's making his big league debut and hitting leadoff tonight, six weeks after being the number one pick in the draft. That's since, or number 11 overall pick in the draft. That's insane. Does that say more about the Angels, Angels franchise than him? Well, it's not like they need to, to sell tickets, right? They got Shohei. Shohei's still on the Angels, right? No, I'm just kidding. I just think that that's... Yeah, it does definitely says something about the Angels, but... Yeah, I think that's probably part perception, too. You're right, because everybody's so sour on Artie Marino and that, you know, that circus in L.A. right now because they kept Shohei trying to make a playoff run, and as soon as the trade deadline hit, they sucked again. Yeah, and they made moves. They like they so, were buyers at the trade deadline. Yeah. They bought players, and hasn't worked out. I just, you know, it's a, it's a fun story to me. That's great. And Florida, didn't they go to the Final Four? Florida men's, Atlantic? Men's basketball? They did, yeah, FAU. Dusty May? Boca Raton? <laughs> what was more fun, the FAU run to the Final Four or the Florida Gulf Coast run to the Sweet 16? Um, dunk, dunk City. Dunk City. They were more fun. But Although they only FAU, went to the six, six, Sweet 16. FAU is a legitimately good team all year. So but that, Gulf Coast beat Georgetown, right? Beat Georgetown and San Diego State. Maybe San Diego State. That was their round two game? Yeah. Yeah, that team was so fun. Some guy named Comer. Was it Brett Comer? Brett Comer, the little the point, point guard. guard? Yeah. I was in college during that time. I, I was had, in Vegas. I had, uh, I had, oh, is that I right? had Florida Gulf Coast. Freaking Florida Gulf Coast. The legend of Andy Enfield. Let's go. Jeez Louise. How's that? Golly, that's such a great story. So FAU now. Wow. All right, number four of your five at five. Uh, so Major League Baseball, in a little scarier news, they will be scheduled three Sunday games down in California because of the forecast of Hurricane Hillary. The games will be Arizona at San Diego, Tampa Bay at LA Angels, and Miami at the Dodgers. Those games will be now played on Saturday as part of a split doubleheader instead of being played on Sunday the hurricane, there's been no tropical storm that has made landfall in Southern California since 1939, according to the National Weather Service. But this looks like it could actually get onto the land down there in Southern California for Hurricane Hillary. A little scary stuff down there uh, in California. Man. Hurricane Hillary, Category 4 status on Friday. Meteorologists expect it to weaken to a tropical storm by the time it makes landfall, passes over Baja, California, and Mexico. That is wild. That is wild. Man, everybody's uh, okay down in Southern California or gets ready for it. I I tell you what, uh, the the people of L.A., they're not really uh, accustomed to adjusting to rain in general. So... I hope everybody's got their stuff together and is taking this seriously and is making the necessary precautions because I'm just from a culture standpoint down there, it's they're not on the front foot with this stuff generally. Yeah, Coach Vaughn was telling me because some of my family's going to Vegas mm. uh, the next week and they're supposed to be flooding in Vegas. Really? Because of it, yeah. It's going to be rain and flooding. In Vegas, so yeah. they're going to get it. Wow. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a real thing. I mean, 1939, the last time a tropical storm 
made some landfall pretty wild stuff there. It's back when Oregon men's basketball won the national championship. The Tall Furs. I think that's right. I think that's right, right? Beat Ohio State, 1939. Yes, yeah, sure, You right. were around for that. Yeah. All right, number five at the five at five. I went to that game. <laughs> uh, number five. I thought this was pretty fun. Uh, NFL story here. Jadeveon Clowney. He has uh, signed a deal with the Baltimore Ravens. Mm. One-year deal, $5 million. But the thing I find more interesting, Judah, Clowney, he was the number one overall pick in 2014, if you remember that. He had all the high back coming out of South Carolina. He oh, had yeah. that tackle. The out, four, outback bowl. Outback bowl, forced the fumble, recovered it. John Gruden was on that call. Clowney, he is going to become the first number one overall pick to play for five different NFL teams. <laughs> <laughs> since 1990. There's been one other guy uh, since 1990. Ooh, a number one overall pick? Number one overall pick. Uh, played for five different NFL teams since 1990. Only one uh, other quarterback. Or one uh, quarterback. I'll give you a hint. Quarterback. It was a quarter? It was a quarterback. Quarterback. Uh, Jadevin Clowney will be the second guy to do that. So I thought that was pretty fun. Can you name that quarterback? Oh, uh, man. Man. Can you give me the uh, conference that he played college football in? Uh, <laughs> Stand by. I'll keep thinking. So I should know this. Jadavian Clowney played. He's his fifth team as a number one uh, overall big, pick. Big Ten. Big Ten, that's right. So he's a Big Ten quarterback, and he play, he was a number one overall pick out of the Big Ten, and he played for five teams. Yep. Oh, probably play, probably man. Play more, but. I'm gonna, I want to say Kerry Collins. I don't know if uh, Kerry got to five. I don't know if Kerry was the number one overall pick. I don't Penn believe Kerry. I think Kerry Collins was third. I want to say. Damn. But no, it is not Kerry Collins. Um. All right. Let's see here. Number one overall pick out of the Big Ten to play for five different teams as a quarterback. Kerry Collins fifth overall pick by the Panthers. <sighs> was it Ohio State or Michigan guy? Nope. Was it uh, Eric uh, it Crouch? Is, uh, <laughs> it is. Toward, it is towards the bottom of the Big Ten. He went to Illinois. Number one overall pick out of Illinois? Yes, sir. Quarterback? Yeah. Initials are JG. Jeff Uh, George. Jeff Oh, my gosh. So that's not great company being in here, Jadeveon Clowney. Shame on me. Jadeveon Clowney, Jeff George, the only two number one overall picks since 1990 to play for five NFL teams. So, Clowney, congratulations. You were in Jeff George's category of best number one (sighs) overall picks. I should have known that, but I'm uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Jeff Jeff George, hell of an arm. People still bring up. I no, I, it's a legend. I, I kid you not. This is stuff people, of legends. People still bring up Jeff George's arm. It's like that's the only thing he had going for him. But hell of an arm, hell of an arm, Jeff George. Well, now now it's him and Clown. Five he's kind of a jerk. That's what I heard about Jeff George. But he had a hell of an arm. But he had a hell of an arm. Friggin' Howlitzer. So it didn't matter. Howlitzer. Was he a pain? Yeah, but he could throw the ball yeah. 80 yards. Hey, man. Uncle Rico got nothing on Jeff George. Jeff George is one of those guys. I kind of like forgot he, he went to Illinois. I, I did, too. That's my why bad. I had to look it up. Yeah, that's my bad. But, yeah, he played for the Colts, the Falcons, the Raiders, the Vikings, and the Washington football team. Yeah, I definitely remember him Colts, Falcons, Vikings. I don't didn't remember him Raiders or Washington. So, so there's the five. Is that, is that a good thing to be, like, so you're good enough to play for a lot of teams, but nobody actually really wants <laughs> well, you. It's probably not great that he was the number one overall pick and he's playing for five teams. If you look at like Jamarcus good. Russell, like nobody wants him, right? Like nobody, he he sucks so bad Russell, nobody yeah. wanted him. Yeah. Or at least Clowney could be like, you know what? I'm good enough where people want me, but I'm yeah. not good enough to like build around. So he's a role player. Like, like, it's fine. Look, when he was on Seattle, 
for that 2021 season, I'm going to say. Or was it? No, no, no. It was a little bit before that. Maybe it was the 2019 season. Can't remember. But he was a game wrecker. I mean, he was the only good thing Seattle had on the D-line. Like, not the most disciplined cat in the world, but he could still make a lot of splash plays. 2019. 2019, yeah. That was the year that they went down to the wire with San Francisco. Last game of the year, Sunday Night Football. Marshawn comes out of retirement for that game. It was freaking, dude, I was lit for that game. Freaking Dre Greenlaw making a tackle at the goal line to keep Seattle from winning. That was a great game. I know you'd like that story. I, I, I do appreciate that story greatly. And I think it was Clowney who who gave Carson Yeah, Clowney hit Carson Wentz, gave him a concussion in the wild card game at Philly. And then Luke McCown. Josh McCown? No, Luke McCown, I think. No, came. Josh. Josh McCown? Yeah, he's a coach now. McCown. McCown came in. Josh. Josh. Came in. Definitely Josh. And the game was, and it was, you know, blouses. So thanks for Clowney for knocking out Carson Wentz and uh, winning us a playoff Seahawks game. Seahawks legend. Seahawks legend. So Jeff Clowney. George could throw the ball. <laughs> he could throw the hell out of the ball. <laughs> G.A. McClowney knocked, knocked you the hell out. That's it. Well, well, we come back, we'll uh, we'll talk about uh, some of our favorite division bets in the NFL, plus a man who may or may not just have had dinner with Lionel Messi. Uh, we'll talk about that coming up next. Newbie and Vaughn in for Kazano on the Bald Face Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Kazano on 750 The Game. Kristoff with the defeat of Martinez has time to turn into Messi. Advantage play. Messi driving forward. Messi from distance! What can he not do? We are watching greatness. But someone from Philadelphia, you've got to stop Lionel Messi from 30 yards in. All he needs is a gap, a half a yard, and you're going to be picking the ball my word what a start for Lionel Messi in his major league soccer career nine goals in six games well you may not be a diehard soccer fan but if you've been a sports fan in this market in this town uh, for any amount of time but specifically any time in the last decade you know that Portland's a great soccer town it's a great soccer city it dubs itself Soccer City, USA. And uh, if you've watched any Timbers game in the last decade or so, you've heard the voice of our next guest, who just had the call of that aforementioned highlight, Lionel Messi. He just had dinner with Lionel Messi. That's what I heard. That, that's what people are saying on the <laughs> on the streets. It's Jake Zivin. Hey, Jake. How, how was dinner? Judah, it was great. I was actually not with Lionel Messi. It was an even more with an even more famous soccer player, Ross Smith, actually, <laughs> uh, who uh, our, our, our good friend, my former uh, Timbers broadcast partner and former Portland Timber, uh, who now lives in Nashville. That's phenomenal. You are in Nashville. You've got a broadcast for Apple TV coming up. Uh, I want to hit that in a moment as well, but. Uh, you know, yeah. it's it's been it's been an interesting time with uh, Lionel Messi coming to Major League Soccer. How many games of Messi have you called now for Apple TV? <laughs> How many has he played? Uh, six. Six. Yeah. Tomorrow will be the seventh. Uh, he's played six games for Inter Miami. It has been 
um, you know, but probably about as perfect as he could have hoped, as Inter Miami could have hoped, and as uh, you know how, how everybody involved in soccer in, in this country, to be fair, I think could have hoped, except for the teams that he's beaten, right? And uh, and here we go, game number seven, the final of the League's Cup tomorrow night in Nashville. Nashville SC will try to be that team to to kind of ruin this story, right? To be the bad guys, to be the villains in what so far has felt like a movie script in the first six games of, of Lionel Messi's Inter-Miami career. How accessible has Messi been to, uh, to, to broadcasters or to anybody? I imagine he's got to be really hard to get to, but what's it been like for you since you've been following him around everywhere the last month and a half or so? Yeah, so Lionel Messi is is um, kind of famously one who who is relatively introverted. At least that's how he's always portrayed himself to the public world, and I think that's authentically who he is. The culture around media in the rest of the world is not what it is in the United States, where a LeBron James talks twice a day, right? He speaks uh, at the shoot-around in the morning, and he speaks after an NBA game. And that's just what, in the U.S., that's what our culture is for our most famous athletes. They talk to the media all the time. It's just part of it. Not so much with with European soccer. So uh, for every player that comes over, no matter how famous they are worldwide, it's always a bit of an adjustment to come to the United States and to MLS and with how much media there is. Uh, That being said, you know, you know, Messi just did a day yesterday of press availability that was honestly probably more intensive than what he's done in a long time. He had a full-on press conference um, at Inter Miami. Again, that's something that's just, it's kind of more rare, uh, you know, overseas. He did multiple one-on-one interviews yesterday with um, ESPN, with the Miami Herald, et cetera, et cetera. So it's something that. Um, you know, are we getting, you know, to speak to him before every game like we would with a Diego Valeri or a Diego Chara before Timbers game? No, uh, definitely not. But, you know, he is, I think, opening himself up to to the outside, you know, to, to media, maybe maybe more than he had uh, in, in the past in his career. Jake Zivin, lead play-by-play man, Apple TV, MLS season pass. What's it like working with Taylor Twelman, Jake? That's that's your uh, partner in the booth. <laughs> Taylor's my guy. Taylor's my guy. It's been great. You know, we've been working together for for six months. Um, if if you're a soccer fan, you know Taylor. If you're not a soccer fan, you might as well. You know, famously had the I think we can call it a rant in 2017 when the United States did not qualify for the World Cup. The what are we doing? That was you know mm. on Sports Center. One of my favorites. That's that is a it's great. It's one <laughs> of the media moments of the decade in sports. Uh, and that's Taylor, like in, in his life, right, that energy uh, that he brings. And so it's been a blast working with him on air and off air, hanging out. I think we've, we've grown uh, to, be, to be friends, to be good friends off air and, and on air, I think, our chemistry as well. Uh, while I think relatively good to, to start, pretty natural to begin, which you never know when you've never called a game with somebody, um, I think really now has, has, uh, has increased. I hope he feels the same way. We've been like. We've been with each other more than we've been with our families over the past month and a half because it's been a wild summer of a ton of games and a ton of travel for us. And uh, I think we still like each other, so that's, that's positive. <laughs> uh, that is good. So the, the Messi's arrival to the league, you know, playing professionally in Major League Soccer, you can help us contextualize this, the Sports Talk Radio listening audience. And this is always – I feel this tension, Jake, because, you know, you and I have known each other for some time. We We've – you know, work together in Timbers capacities for a number of years now, but there's kind of a siphoning off of, 
you know, Major League Soccer, you know, broadcasts or, or soccer commentary in general and the day-to-day, you know, topics that we cover in regular sports talk media. This messy thing, man, Dan Patrick's talking about it. Jim Rome's talking about it. You know, yeah. national guys are talking about I'm bringing you on the show to talk about because you're you're living it. You're seeing the greatest to ever play, you know, week to yeah. week and making like help us contextualize the impact to the league. Sure. But from your vantage point, you've covered a lot of different sports and a lot of different markets. You know, what, what has it been like for you and what kind of impact do you think this has on American sports at large? Yeah, first of all, right, for, for anybody that, that's not aware, you know, Lionel Messi is arguably, and, and maybe not any, might not even be an argument anymore, the greatest soccer player of all time. He's a Michael Jordan-level athlete, a Tiger Woods-level athlete, a Muhammad Ali-level athlete. Not, not the GOAT, that, you know, there's a different GOAT every year, right? Not that kind of GOAT, but really the greatest of all time. He's, he's that good. He's that level. He has, oh, you know, what, 500 million Instagram followers around the world. Like, he is one of the most recognizable people on the planet. And him coming to Major League Soccer, him coming to the United States, is massive for the league. It is another inflection point, I think, in the American soccer history. That saw Pele come in the 70s, and that boosted the NASL. Portland Timbers started at that point, and that kind of introduced soccer to America. David Beckham came in 2007, and that elevated the league a little bit more and brought some casual viewers to the league because of the massive celebrity factor that David Beckham had. It didn't necessarily have to do with him as a player, but just him as a person, and Victoria, his wife, you know, the Spice Girl, Spice Girl, Posh Spice coming to the U.S., all that stuff. Lionel Messi coming to me, I think what it does is it brings the eyes of certainly casual fans that just want to watch the greatest player of, of all time in whatever sport you're watching, you want to see that. But also the soccer fans that maybe weren't paying attention to Major League Soccer, but now that Messi's here, like, yeah, they're going to watch Messi. I mean, you, you go on YouTube, you go on Twitter, you go on Facebook, and you look at the views that, that the Messi content videos, highlights get. It's, it's remarkable. It's 20, 50-fold what any other MLS game would get. That's the type of impact that Lionel Messi has. With that now, other teams have to have to step up. They've got to keep pace. There's not another Messi that can be brought in, maybe outside of Cristiano Ronaldo, but I'm not even sure. Messi might be in his own tier right now at this point. But still, teams have to bring in bigger players, maybe spend a little more money uh, to compete, and that's a good thing for the league. I think players are going to look at MLS now and say, okay, Messi's there. Yeah, maybe I'll come play. And, and it's already a league that was growing at an, at an incredible rate. The quality, uh, the viewership, you know, the, the people going to stadiums on and off the field, growing immensely. This just kind of gives it not just a little bump or boost, I think, but kind of a rocket ship to keep going. Slight pivot with you here, Jake. And we're talking to Jake Zinn, yeah, lead a play-by-play voice, MLS season pass on Apple TV. So... You you've got a fascinating background. You know you're you're originally from you know Big Ten country. You know Evanston, Illinois, your your hometown. And <laughs> I'm I'm still living in Big Ten country now, aren't I? You exactly are, my friend. You exactly are. <laughs> and and you've got this you know Apple TV gig, which is fascinating. Now, obviously, you know I, I want to bring this up because Apple's been in so much news with conference realignment, consolidation, media yeah. rights, whatever yeah. you want to say. 
it directly is intersected with the Oregon Ducks. You've covered the program. Yes. You know, we're, this radio mm-hmm. show is on in Eugene right now on uh, KORE, Fox Sports Eugene. You used to be an anchor at uh, KEZI down there in Eugene. You've covered Chip Kelly's programs. Absolutely. You've covered this, you know, some of the peak of, of Oregon Ducks football. You see them move into the Big Ten, and part of it was this, you know, dance with with Apple TV and a little bit of hesitance with the subscription model and and all that. But I guess overall, with Oregon moving to the Big Ten, you know, how do you react to that, given your ties and also just this <laughs> overall, just this overall, I think from a public standpoint, this uncertainty with with Apple's subscription based model. You have a perspective. You're seeing it working from the inside. Now you're seeing it for a much different yeah. demographic, different sport, and different levels of stardom. But I'm fascinated by what your perspective on all that was. Yeah, look, I, first of all, I'll say I have no inside knowledge of, you know, the Pac-12 discussions with Apple or Apple's discussions with the Pac-12. I'll say I'm a huge believer in this model. And, and I, I think MLS specifically is, was the perfect league Apple was the perfect partner, and it was the perfect time for this to happen. I think eventually the model that MLS has, where every game is on Apple TV, subscription, MLS season pass, so there are several every week that are for free, and it can be seen globally. No blackouts, every country in the world. It's not splintered rights. It's not only some games, but every game, no matter where you are, in the United States, in anywhere in the world, 107 countries, you can watch it. I think that model is the future for sports. And the MLS is the perfect league, Apple the perfect partner, to be the first one to do it. And I think in 10, in 20 years, they're going to look back on this deal as being transformative in the sports broadcasting world. Does that mean that it was the right move for the Pac-12? You know, that, I'm not going to analyze that. But I think that because, like you said, the demographic of Major League Soccer, younger fans, more tech-savvy fans, the amount of complaints that we would get in the Timbers days about not being able to cut the cord and not being able to stream games if you are in Portland because mm. the streaming package would be blacked out in the local market was immense, right? So that, that's, all, that's all done, and, and I think it's, it's been perfect. Certainly Lionel Messi coming um, and, and the global audience that he brings, again, just a perfect pairing and a perfect partnership, and I'm a, a big believer in this in the future. Uh, for the Pac-12 now, it, 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 this has nothing to do with television. It makes me sad. It makes, yeah. I'm a traditionalist, right? So I understand, you know, I understand it's a big business. I I'm, I believe, and, and Chip Kelly, I think, talked about this, actually. I'm a big believer that I think football needs to break apart from the other college sports, let football be its own thing. I think football, my big hot take is the only sport in America where promotion and relegation would work is Division One college football. And it'd be incredible and you could the economics of it would support it. The fan bases would follow teams if they're in, you know, Division One A or Division One B or Division One C. Doesn't matter. You're going to support your team. It'd be interesting. The fact that you know it's only four years and like that makes it a little different, right? You get promoted and then there's different group. You know, it's not the same team necessarily, but that happens in European soccer anyway. You sign new players because you have more money. Yada yada. Anyway, I'm a believer in that. And then I think for all the other sports, you know, come back to like the regional conferences that make sense for travel and for rivalries and all that. So I would, I would love to see that, but yeah, it makes, I, you know, somebody who covered the Pac-12 for five years, like you said, the glory days of Oregon football, Chip, LaMichael, Marcus. Yeah. It, it makes me sad that, that the Pac-12 is, is on its final legs and, and for Oregon state to be apart from Oregon, that, that 
stinks, right? I mean, it really does. Those games are awesome. Civil War is not called that anymore, obviously, but those games were awesome to cover in every sport. And I'm a, I love rivalries. Like, Timber Sounders are the best games to call, you know? Um, so, yeah, it makes me sad. On the other hand, when my uh, – I grew up in Evanston, Illinois. Grew up a Northwestern fan. Not a very good time for, for Northwestern football right now. But the fact that, like, they're going to be coming to Eugene and for a conference game is just crazy. Yes. And the Ducks are going to go to Evanston and play, you know, a mile from where I grew up is, like, just – in a conference game is just weird. It's crazy times, man. It is crazy times. Jake Ziven, lead play-by-play voice, MLS season pass on Apple TV. You got Messi tomorrow, Jake. Uh, what yep. time is that kicking off, and how can people find you and Taylor in this League's Cup yeah. final? Final of the League's Cup, uh, which was a tournament that was every team in Major League Soccer and every team in Liga MX, the, the Mexican First Division, 47 teams started, down to the final two. This is the first year of this tournament. Inter-Miami and Lionel Messi playing at Nashville SC, who have the reigning league MVP, Hani Mukhtar, who's been the best player in the league for the past two and a half seasons. So it's the best in MLS in Mukhtar versus the best in the world uh, in Lionel Messi. It's 6 o'clock Pacific time to start, 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock where we are in Nashville. At 6 Pacific time on MLS Season Pass on Apple TV, wherever you are in the world. So if you're streaming this, and you're, you know, you're, you're getting on a plane tomorrow morning to fly somewhere, to fly up to Canada, to fly down to Cancun. You can still watch it, MLS Season Pass, on Apple TV. Lionel Messi has been a spectacle. Every game he's been in has not disappointed. It has been pure entertainment, and tomorrow night should, should certainly be the best yet. My very best to Ross Smith and his uh, beautiful family. Give my <laughs> warm regards, Jake. It's great to catch up with you. Thanks for making time, and uh, I'll look forward to tu- tuning in. Uh, and enjoying the subscription-based model that is MLS Season Pass. I'm pro it, man. I think it's been a phenomenal okay. viewing experience, and obviously, I got I got to be plugged in as well for the you know the MLS uh, stuff and the Timber stuff. But I think it delivers in a major way. I think yeah. it's a matter of time yep. before it gets into the college football space, and when it does, I think it will be yep. a great win for for the audience. But yeah, it's it's fascinating, Jake. But thanks for making time. No problem. By the way, I, I'm a little disappointed you didn't introduce me as the co-host of Talk Timbers on 750 The Game every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock with the great Judah Newby. Oh, yeah. 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 Shocker that I didn't uh, I didn't lead with that, although that is a highlight of my week. And, yeah, that is right. Wednesday, 6 to 7, Jake and I talk all things Timbers, and we'll do so again next week, Jake. So I'll look forward to that show next week. We'll be Let's talking go. League's Cup recap and uh, pr- talking more Timber soccer as well. So look forward to that, my friend. Safe travels and have a great call. Amen. See you, Judah. There he is, Jake Zivin, MLS season pass on Apple TV. Oh, that's a lot of fun. Look forward to tuning in for that one tomorrow. We'll wrap things up on the show when we return. Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazano on a Friday, Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. NFL preseason continuing. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazano. Hope everyone's enjoying their Friday. You got any uh, division odd futures that you like, Stephen? We were kicking around this around a little bit. Like I think the Seahawks were getting more action than the Niners in the NFC West because of the value, which 
I fully support. But what stands out to you? Yeah, you know, you know, I got one. You know, I got a few. I, I think you got a few. Um, the one that I really like, and it's gone down a little bit. It was it was a little higher, but uh, people are catching on a little bit. Is the Packers to win the NFC North? And the thing is, is about it is like you look at it. And last season, they didn't win the NFC North, right? It was the Minnesota Vikings. They go, what was it, fourteen and three, thirteen and four, something 13 like that. Thirteen and four. Thirteen and four. All and of them by one score. Yes, they, I believe it was. I believe it was twelve of the thirteen wins were one score or less. Crazy dude. Regression has that to Buffalo there. game. I'll never forget the Buffalo game. Totally, totally. Crazy. So I, I think Minnesota. They're not even the favorite. The Lions are the favorite in that division. I'm not fully yet ready to buy the Detroit Lions. I've seen the Lions for my whole entire life not be good. What's the difference this time? What is the difference? I don't know. Is it Dan Campbell? Is he really that good of a coach? He's that good a motivator? Ben Johnson, the OC. I'm just, it could be. And they could be awesome. That offense should be really good. The defense struggled a season ago. I'm not ready to buy it till I see it. Yeah. Lions are getting a little too much hype. The Packers, they're still a very talented team, especially defensively. They're a good defensive team, and I don't think Aaron Rodgers played great last season for the Packers. So if Jordan Love comes in and is fine, is average, that's kind of what Aaron Rodgers did last season. So I think right now, I look at this roster with the Packers, and I think they got some weapons. I think they got you know the the uncertainty that Aaron Rodgers brought to that team year after year. Nobody knew if he was coming back. Nobody knew if he was buying in. That's gone. It's a new regime. It's Matt LaFleur's guy. He came in. He drafted Jordan Love because he wanted him. It's kind of like the Dame situation here in Portland. Joe Cronin, he got his guys. He got Shane Sharp. He got Scoot. He wants to build around them. Matt LaFleur has his guy in Jordan Love. He wants to build around him. He's going to build that offense around him. I think that division's not very good. You look at that with the Bears as well. I think the Packers at 4-1, to one, I think it's a good bet. I think that they could win the division very easily. And we know in the NFL, it's you know there's a lot of turnover in who makes the playoffs. Packers didn't make the playoffs last year. I think this is a team that could really bounce back this next season. People love Luke Musgrave there. Love love what he looks like in training camp. So Love it. I think that's uh, that's cool. There's uh, There was reports that Luke Musgrave was the fastest wide receiver or tight end on the roster. He was beating Christian Watson in races. That's how fast That's Luke supposed Luke... to be Watts the strong suit. Yeah. His speed. That Luke Busgrave's gonna be a contributor day one. <laughs> oh, I'm hyped. I'll give you one. This is sneaky. People aren't gonna like it either, and I'll tell you why. Cleveland Browns plus three eighty mm. to win the AFC North. Now if Deshaun Watson's good, it's a good value bet. If he's not good, then throw your ticket, go home. I, and Deshaun Watson's not exactly a guy people are going to enjoy betting on. But last year was a mess. His whole last two years have been a football mess, and for good reason. But he has got no, no full offseason to get into the Stefanski system. It's always going to be a strong run game. They made a change at defensive coordinator. Jim Schwartz is in there now. That's an adult. That's a guy that freaking knows what he's doing on defense. Okay, And Joe Woods is gone. They still got dudes on defense. Uh, it could come together. Mix that in with Cincinnati. Dude, it's a war of attrition in the AFC North. I think Baltimore is obviously a sneaky good play, too. But if you're looking for value, Cleveland plus 380. Am I crazy? No, not at all. Uh, because I mean, Are think, you betting it right now? <laughs> I am right now. now. Think about Deshaun Watson, like the fall from grace that that guy had. He was like the future of the league, right? Yeah. With Houston, that's how good he was. And yes, he had some problems off the field. It's been a couple of years since. But if that guy regains his form, he's one of the best in the you're NFL. About There's a, no doubt about it. A team that was you know five minutes from an AFC championship game just a few years ago with Baker. Yeah, no doubt about that. He, so, like, he's one of the most talented players in the NFL when he's yeah. right. All right. Steven, it's been a hell of a show, man. Great show. Appreciate you. Get that shoulder healthy. Don't Good go to Jeff da- George. 
don't go to Dave and Buster's if you can help it. Otherwise, you're you're calling out with a hospital visit next week. Appreciate you. Appreciate everybody listening. Thanks to Bob Condota, Jake Zivin, Jordan Kent, all joining the show. Find the podcast if you missed it. Gonzano back Monday.